take off your armor and lay your weapons down. Your famed intruder has yet to come around. A billion bodies of Time bomb. It's a rock in your on everybody welcome to uh pancakes on sunday we got a special episode today uh we have our good friend andrew bonus we went to school with him long time he is a marvelous musician and i'm gonna i can't even not even gonna go into it i'm gonna let him tell the story but uh andrew welcome hello and we have ryan here today sitting in what's going on everybody might hear a question or two pop into our head we're going off the cuff on this one i i know a little bit about your we went to high school together, uh, shenanigans, 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 but you've always played music. You've always been, you were the musician. You went in study hall and played guitar. You practically taught people guitar there. Like I remember multiple study halls, going to uh, Miss <laughs> Bing's room. <laughs> oh my God, you, Shulman, maybe even uh, Kotek, mm-hmm. maybe, would hang out, all jam out, but You've always been a music man, so tell us, Andrew, a little bit about yourself. Like, what your, I mean, what's your, what's your origin story? Mm. My origin story. Well, let's see. So I didn't play music when I was younger. Um, I grew up out in Trumbull County in Bristolville, Ohio, mm-hmm. which is way out. I actually went to school in West Farmington, and actually, <laughs> I, I realized this recently that I, uh, through. Preschool through high school, I went to three schools that don't exist anymore. Really? Because I went to West Farmington, which closed, Newberry, which is closed, and I also went to ECOT, which was sued for fraud. (laughs) That's right. And is now no longer in existence. No shit, really? When did they get sued? Oh, I think that was probably like 10 years ago, maybe. You went, You were there before you came to Newberry, right? Or you were at Sharp? I did all kinds of up and down. So basically what happened was I went to uh, elementary school in West Farmington, Bristolville, and then when I was 12, we moved to Munson, Ohio, um, and then I went to Chardon for a year, and then I was getting some various health issues, like not being able to sleep mm-hmm. and other, you know, issues like that and just kind of stuff like that. So we were looking for just some kind of alternative option. So I went to ECOT then, and basically ECOT, for those um, not sure what that means, it's the electronic classroom of tomorrow. Oh, so to, 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 no, tomorrow today. <laughs> so not no more. <laughs> basically, what that entailed was I had a uh, a computer, and it was a homeschool, but I was by myself. My parents both worked, and my sister went to public school. So it's basically me hanging out 
uh, at home on the computer, we had dial-up. Oh. So usually what would happen <laughs> is I would try to log into my classes, and it would take a long time because we didn't have the best internet connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I get it to work for a little while, and then, well, and it's funny because I can talk about ECOT now because, I mean, they were sued for fraud, so I'll tell you how fraudulent that experience I had with that, where I would take a test and I would, you know, fail it. Uh, but then they'd say, or, you know, I'd have a teacher email me back and say, oh, you know, I see you didn't do a good job on your test. You know, that's okay. You know, that's okay, though. Here's the, here's the answers. You can retake the test for the same credit and just refer back and forth, you know? Choose your own answers and then see where you might have gotten wrong. Jesus! <laughs> Jesus! And then, so then I got A's, which was so funny <laughs> because I, when I left Chardon, I had, like, all D's because I wasn't sleeping at all. So right. my, my grades were taking a hit. But then the first semester back to ECOT, I got all A's and I got the most... Ad- Quick Advanced Student Award at Econ because <laughs> I went from D's days like man this organization must be doing a great job you know like this kid's GPA went up like two, two and a half points it's crazy but um, that was coming back to Newberry though was that a little bit that was good so basically I was just kind of going crazy being homeschooled so Newberry was smaller school because um, Chardon's big Chardon's big. Um, and you know, at the time to, I mean, that was, I was 12, so it was kind of an awkward timing too. Oh, it's yeah. hard for everybody. Middle school. That's rough. Um, that in that situation, you know, um, Bristol's, you know, comparable to Newberry. So what, that's probably like 70 kids a class, maybe something like that. Where Chardon has a couple hundred. Newberry was mm. 45. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Our class was <laughs> we really We had a small. tiny class. Yeah. So that was just a challenge. You know, you get picked on and stuff too, and a little heavier and all that. Um, but Newbury was a cool option because it was a lot smaller. So, you know, in a way to get, you know, socialized and kind of get out there a little bit more. I did plays, too, like musicals when I had first moved to uh, Munson just to do a social thing, right? Like, here's a musical. Or, like, we had some uh, some neighbors who had, like, kids. I was going to say people. They were kids. <laughs> kids then, people now, always people. Um we did uh, plays and musicals together at the Geauga Lyric Theater Guild over there in Chardon. Oh. And that was really fun. I really uh, learned how to sing a lot better that way. Um, and it was just fun to gallivant about and have fun and be oh, silly yeah. and all Branch this. Branch out, and, meet yeah. other people. Because, I mean, yeah. that, that's more of a, like, a county thing. So you get, you're getting kids from Chardon, you're getting kids from Newbury, you're getting kids from Burton, you're getting kids from everywhere. So you get the branch out a little bit. So, yeah. and you did school drama. I remember you in school drama and stuff yeah, like you're that. A bunch so, of plays in Newberry. Yeah, yeah, it was that was a really cool thing to be able to do, and I think it helped me with the stage presence a lot. But then knowing how to sing too. I mean, I had always kind of sung, but when it was actually like, a, okay, here's what you're doing, or do choir. Let's say, yeah. like I was in choir when like in elementary school. Um, but uh, yeah, so the theater was great, and it was cool for stage presence. I remember I was the lead in Oklahoma. And it was really terrifyingly scary for me. Uh, probably even still would be today, honestly. Um, with the lead, I had to walk out singing by myself, and that's how we started the play. Um, so the, you know, the piano player would after yeah. the opening. And you're the first and then one. To I'm step like, on. like walking on, <laughs> you know, uh, walking onto the stage. Uh, just singing by myself. So that was, it was really scary, but it was a great learning experience to do that. Um, but basically, going to Newberry then was great. Um, so smaller school, you know, kind of checking it out, doing some plays there too. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And at the time, I guess as far as music goes, so this before I went to Newbury, um, my dad was always buying and selling things all the time, and he was a musician also. So he's played you know music around Cleveland for you know decades. Both my parents are from Lakewood originally, Cleveland area, um, and he's played music for a long time: guitar and fiddle and bass and all kinds of singing. You know, so he played with different bands. And then uh, he would he would buy and sell a lot of different things. So he'd have like an old guitar and buy, you know, sell that, get a new guitar, or like even with cars or boats. Or he was always like shifting stuff around all the mm-hmm. time. So we had uh, he had bought this electric bass that was really beat up, like barely worked, but he had like you know fixed it together to make it work. And I was homeschooled, right? So at the time, you know, dial-up internet, just kind of hanging around, you know. Nothing better to do. Yeah, you don't have much going on, and I was just, you know, cast adrift. (laughs) And uh, so I went down and started playing the bass, and uh, yeah, I just, like, threw all my energy into that because it was something to do, it was something positive to focus on. Um, And uh, yeah, I threw myself into it, and my dad played out. So that would have been a broken guitar. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing bass was the first thing you learned. Yeah. And then you moved into guitar because you're you're pretty good at guitar as well. You're mm-hmm. pretty good at everything. Uh, but I mean, so I mean, what if it wasn't a broken bass? What if it was a broken mandolin? Bro- I mean, would you broken banjo? Bro- yeah, broken. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Maybe I, you know, some alternate reality. I'm the king of the broken chromatic harmonica. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, maybe it was funny because when I was younger. Uh, I was gifted like a little tiny guitar from my aunt, um, and I didn't stick at all. I didn't like it at all when I was younger. I was too, you know, yeah. crazy. Uh, but yeah, totally could have been anything. The electric bass is cool because it's it's challenging, but to pick up certain songs, it's more simplistic in some ways, depending on the song. Um, and the cool thing about it is that my dad played in an acoustic duo, um, and. Uh, he said, you know, hey, if you can learn these songs, then you can come play out with us. Because they need, you know, they're two, it was two guitar players, and they both sang. Um, but to add a bass, it just adds more low end to it. Yeah. So I could kind of sneak in there, you know, in the background, and kind of just, you know, be the lost puppy on stage watching, you what know. What was your first gig? My first gig was at the Chesterland Tavern, actually. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yep. I went up, uh, I think I had been playing the bass for maybe like five or six months. And uh, I went up and I'd, I the pl- I was gonna play one song with them and then I just stayed up the whole night with them, which was really awesome. awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. Um, so five or six months, and you were able to memorize their set list essentially. Basically, yeah, it was kind of like that's impressive. Figuring out, uh, it was funny because I had heard them play those songs my whole life basically because yeah. they had been playing together since I was born essentially, um, and. Uh, yeah, it was funny. Uh, the so it's my dad, and then the other guitarist. His name is Steve Madewell, and he still plays out. Actually, just played a gig uh, with Steve at the Painesville party in the park uh, last week, a couple days ago. Yep, um, and that was cool. But I remember they wouldn't usually rehearse, but I remember we were gonna play on this gig when I was you know fifteen, and uh, we were gonna rehearse, and we were playing the song. Uh, Friend of the Devil, right? Or no, it might have been. It was some Grateful Dead mm-hmm. song, and I forget which one it was specifically. Uh, but there were a lot of chords. And I was, I turned to Steve. I said, Steve, you know, I'm, you know, I'm excited to play with you guys this coming weekend. But you know, this song has a lot of chords. You know, there's a lot of chords to this song. Yeah. And Steve looked at me. He goes, Well, Drew, 
you'll have that. <laughs> so, which has been helpful going forward in like another genres of jazz and stuff. But I always thought that was so funny. Like, yeah, just figure it out, you know. So right. then I just kind of went in and started playing with them, uh, and that's really how I started. Really. So from the bass, how long were you playing bass until you actually like learned the guitar? Because, I mean, I'm assuming once you understand the bass, I mean, it, moving up, I mean, there is two more strings. I know that. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so I had played bass for probably about a year, I'm guessing. Um, and then I think I started guitar about a year after that, so I was probably about 15 is when I started playing guitar. And you were already at Newberry at this point, right? I was, yeah. yeah. So I had, I started playing bass, started getting with my dad that summer, actually, and then I went to Newberry that coming This is roughly semester. 2005, four, four five. Yeah, I, I think it's four is when I started <clears throat> gigging, um... Just for the context of time for the whole yeah. day. Yeah. Yeah, so 2004 is when I started gigging. I think I went to Newberry. Were you there eighth grade? Eighth grade, yeah. And you were there ninth, and you left tenth, and you were there eleventh and yeah. twelfth. Because I remember <laughs> it was eighth grade, Mr. Cook, this class. Our first interaction. Uh, you asked me if I liked music. I said yes. I go. Have you heard of the band Metallica? <laughs> uh, oh, I remember that being our first interaction. And I was like, uh, I have heard of the band. Right, right. Nice. Yep. My first interaction was you invited me to the lunch table, and I had told the story before. But yeah. remember in Mr. Johnson's class where I found the baloney in my agenda? Oh. <laughs> <man>. <laughs> But I don't use the thing that much, and when I actually uh, had to use it for something, I flipped through the page. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> uh, That's amazing. Silly times. Yeah. But it's so funny. So, you're getting you're in Newberry bass, learning the guitar. I mean, you're gigging with your dad. I mean, how long were you gigging with your dad? I mean, I know we've been watching you play at like local places, oh, Bass yeah. Light Tavern, and you've been doing open mics and. I know. I mean, you've been playing with your. We drive out to Geneva. Mm -hmm. Just, I mean, shenanigans. You were all over the place. I mean, yeah. how long were you gigging with your dad before you're like, I wanna. It's time for me to branch. Yeah. Um. I well, let's see. So I had started playing with my dad with Steve Madewell, and that was probably about that first year I was playing. Um, and yeah, like all the wineries, um, little random festivals around, kind of mostly in Northeast Ohio, but mm -hmm. um, we did that. And then Steve kind of started doing his own thing, and my dad and I started playing more together as a duo. And then we started doing a lot of the open mics and things like that, mm -hmm. playing the different, a lot of the same connections of the other band. Um, and then, yeah, we did that for a long, for a while. And I always, I played with my dad probably until probably until about I moved to Colorado, at least off and on up to that point. So, I don't know, maybe six or seven years total, I'm wow. guessing. Yeah, it was really helpful. Just how he played guitar was super helpful for me because it was very rhythmic-based and as a bass player, too. So he and I would play because he would be more rhythm-based when we would do the trio with Steve Mabel. Um, and as bass player, I could kind of hook on to that, which was cool. And then as the duo, we played as a duo for a long time. And then we got together with a man named Randy Washusen, who played drums. And Randy was awesome. Uh, he, you know, played, he was a seasoned musician. He'd played his whole life, you know, he was in the 70s by that point, but super excited about music and really good feel, you know, so. 
at this point, you're in the upright base, too. You you moved up mm-hmm. to an upright base. Yep. Remember, you trying to fit that thing into your camera. You <laughs> yeah. put all the seats down oh, and oh, slide man. that thing to the trunk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, what was really funny is that we played, my dad and I had a gig. Uh, we played the Yankee Peddler Festival in Canal Fulton a few years in a row, mm-hmm. which basically is... It's like a medieval fair, but colonial, right? So it's like a Revolutionary War, and here's the blacksmith, That's and there's cool. all the stuff, you know? And it's hilarious because in that park, there's a big open grass area where there would be artisans and stuff like that, and modern things. There's a modern band, you know? You plug <laughs> in, and electricity. And then as soon as you go in the woods, everyone's in character, playing flutes, shooting muskets, you know, dressed up, you know, like blacksmith, doing the whole shebang, right? Yeah. So we did three weekends there in a row every year. Uh, two weekends would be the Colonial dressed up, and then we'd play one weekend as the Electrified Band, and that would be, like, with Randy, let's say. That's cool. Yeah, it was really so fun. So you're in the woods, your dad's on acoustic, you're on an upright bass, no oh, electricity, man. just playing away in the woods? Yeah, it's so hilarious. And at the time, I didn't play... Well, we had gotten this gig, um, but there, w- there wasn't an outlet uh, at the colonial side because obviously they didn't have power back then yeah you know so uh yeah my aunt who actually um also is a musician she went to juilliard for upright bass and uh she has been in a bunch of symphonies all over the world yeah it's spanish symphony mexican symphony um so music runs in your family yeah yeah for sure and she uh taught at Illyria schools for a long time so she actually was able to get a school bass um, that bass was hilarious because, wow. you know, kids are just, like, stuffing pencils and all kinds of stuff <laughs> in that thing. So you could shake it, and it would be like a maraca <laughs> And uh, the action was crazy. Well, the action basically means um, how far the strings were from the neck. And it was so high, and it was so hard to play. And I didn't have the dexterity to play it because playing upright bass is really hard to do to get enough sound out of it with your plucking hand but then also with your left hand there are no frets so it's all based on hand position kind of like what you do with a trombone let's say right yeah here's a note there's a note and that distance between those two notes you just have to have your muscle memory wow yeah so same thing with this now if the action's high too you're pressing down like i had this problem actually this last weekend ironically um i've been playing bass for a while but i've not been playing it as much recently i've had more guitar gigs uh, and my action is probably a little bit too high now, but I had two upright bass gigs in a row this weekend, and then yeah, just the physicality of it is really challenging, you know. Huh. And like you can pull things. I've been, you know, your arms kind of hurt a little bit afterwards. Yeah. Um, but it was so funny playing the Yankee Peddler because I'm playing this bass. I wrapped my so this is from my right hand, my plucking hand. I wrapped my hand in duct tape, both fingers in duct tape, a bunch of times. And then I put a motorcycle glove on my hand and plucked like that. So it was like a, it was like Michael Jackson plucking <laughs> kiss, you know. And I still tore my hand up, you know. Damn. Uh, and it, was, it was cool to have that experience of playing that thing, though. It was really funny because what we would do, we would have specific slots of the time to play, you know. Mm-hmm. But then we'd be off in between. We'd share a stage with, you know, another band. Yeah. So we'd walk right to the edge of where the modern meets the past mm-hmm. and we'd busk or just play for money basically or just jam and we played anything from like uh, fiddle tunes to like Motown That's so great. we literally did anything because it, we awesome. said we were we were taking chronological liberties because we were in the, the <laughs> right. kind of the in between you know yeah. Yeah. Um, but that was really hilarious That's awesome. so you've been playing games for six years where and you're out of high school now and I mean I want to. Ju- I just want to go off of like 
just listen to jam. Like, you can just pull shit out of your ass, and you just know music like it, like it's nothing. Like, you know what goes together, and you just switch it up, and you're different tones. I'm not a music person, as you can tell my vo- mm-hmm. my vocabulary, but, like, you... I'm gonna... I'm gonna you learned a song for a girl at a, a restaurant in a week and like learned it front <laughs> to back vocals everything in a week and I was like I mean dude that was that was shocked fucking, on yeah. top of everything else that you played that you just go off your head like you, you memorized everything it's that's nuts that is to me that's nuts but I mean that's fucking awesome how did you just I mean what made music influence every part of your life now yeah um, so the um, that element of it, another huge aspect of my musical upbringing, um, still in high school, uh, is that I went to Tri-C uh, in an extracurricular way for the jazz program over there. They had a program where you could get into the, it was like the high school jazz band or something like that. I forget I the specific I think I remember band. this. Weren't you like opening up for like Tony Bennett or something we, like that? We, we played a show, he played at the Allen Theater but the people that went to that show could pay extra and get like dinner at this theater yes. and we played I at remember. the VIP show. Yeah, I remember in the library you were talking about you hey, see that guy right there? I'm like, yeah, he's like, that's what we're playing for. <laughs> I remember that. Nice. That's okay. hilarious. So, um, so Tri-C was really helpful because it trained me how to know basically musical theory or at least how to understand what's going on. So I could hear something and then understand or get the relative pitch for it or understand. So that was really helpful. I did... I think maybe two or three summers over there and then I always went to the jazz all-star band uh, like after school on like Wednesdays or something just drive to Cleveland and that was really awesome because I got to hang out with a bunch of different people and it was all really intellectual with music actually at that Yankee Peddler one of the electrified bands that played the weekend that we weren't electrified uh, they played a lot of different music and uh, they had a guitar player in one band and he was playing different jazz things and that was the first time I was really exposed to that so I used I, I saw him use that in, as a tool you know not specific to that genre but you could superimpose that over a country song or this or that or it helps it gives you context to what you're doing essentially so by doing the try C thing that was hugely helpful for me um, and then out of high school so I'm playing all these different bands you know playing some freelance stuff I was in that blues band uh, Miles Beyond which was super yeah. fun Weren't you in uh, Speed... Speed The Speed Bump. So that was a huge next step for me. So, so, wait, the blues band, was that before Speed Bumps? That was in high school. Yeah, that was was before. I don't remember that one. I didn't... We we played up, uh, like, a lot of the wineries up in Madison. Okay, all right. Yeah. So when you... So, okay, so what was your first, like... I guess what was your first band? You branched. You, I know you were playing with your dad up until you moved. We'll get to that. But sure. I mean, what was your first like breakout? I'm gonna do my own thing. Just, like, what was the next thing from just getting with your dad on weekends? Yeah. Um, well, I was looking to branch out and do some different stuff with different people. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, and I was doing that. I was playing with like Kenny P. Kenny uh, P. He's great. A uh, great Nashville musician. Yep. Um, is yeah. that where he's at now? Yeah, he lives in he Nashville. He tours. Now, yeah. I see. I see. He tours a bunch. He was on The Voice. Was wow. he? Yeah, yeah. I didn't uh, know a couple that. years back. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, he's doing a great job down That's there. That's awesome. Good um, uh, yeah, doing different stuff like that. But I was always like an auxiliary uh, musician. I was always like, 
let's play, I want to, you know, go into this band that maybe already has music that has already been written, let's say, or non-original music, right? Mm. Kenny did some original music, but uh, basically, we graduated high school. Um, I had a whole other life plan. I wanted to join the military at the time, just because I wasn't, right. I wasn't really, yeah, I wasn't really into, <laughs> I wasn't really into the music. I was playing a lot, like with my dad or with other, you know, other groups. I just felt like I wanted to do something and I wasn't really satisfied with music at the time, mm-hmm. so I needed to just do something big and make moves. I didn't join. Um, I ended up getting a call from a bass player who uh, was leaving a band called the Speed Bumps from Kent, Ohio, uh, and he was you know, looking for a sub. They were just looking for another bass player. So then I joined that band, and that was hugely beneficial for me in all kinds of ways musically. I was in that band for about two years, you guys actually like that was your first tour necessarily. Yeah. That was the tour yeah. we were, you know, did the rec- like record in Nashville, uh, playing all over the U.S. We played all these college shows. We did this thing called NACA, which was I think it's like the North American College Association maybe or something like that, where it's essentially a college fair, but the entertainers are the people that are uh, they have booths, and all of these schools. Uh, have kids that are like delegates of the like uh, entertainment committee of this school, and then they'll have these regional, uh, you know, things, and you'll go and you try to you know get booked by these different schools. So that was really awesome, and it was funny because I had you know it was that age, probably nineteen or twenty, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, I'm in the band, and all these kids that are basically my age are also in school. Everyone in the speed bumps was at least four or five years older than I was. Yeah. Um, you know, I was I was 19 when I joined that band, and, you know, the, other, the, the, college the, next, of... the next age was 25, and then 30, 35, you know. Oh. So, so I was 19 like, going to these college campuses, and everyone's your age. 19. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, hey, what's going on? Oh, you're from the University of Wisconsin. That's cool. That's cool. Hey, I'm in a band. Like, talk about different life. <laughs> yeah. you know, like, yeah. you're, going to, you're going to school for electrical engineering. That's awesome. Well, yeah, I'm yeah. a... I'm a, I play ukulele and bass in this band, so you know, which was great. I had yeah. such a good time in that, and just being able to navigate music and promoting a band and doing all the stuff, and uh, we won an independent music award, which is really awesome. Uh, and that was at the brink of like social media at that point. So mm-hmm. like, getting like, that, like it's a whole new world now with social uh, yeah. media and promoting everything. But so speed bumps, speed bumps, two years. I mean, I, we, I think we we came and saw you in Kent. I think I, I have going to their house that I have out. a poster still mm-hmm. somewhere. Yeah, we did uh, yeah, a whole bunch of shows. We did uh, like the CD release party, the the moon is down. Yeah, that was so fun. I'm so thankful to have been able to be a part of that band because it helped me learn so much about life too, but like with music and how to manage a band and then just what it is and the tour as you know element to it and just kind of the thrown in but then I was so young it was cool to not be you know I could have someone to lean on like you know I was just kind of this lost puppy character <laughs> yeah, right but they all had been doing it for years so that was awesome to be able to fall into that group um, so that was in that band for a couple of years uh, primarily speed bumps I still play with my dad off and on but because the speed bumps took up most of my time that was yeah. like the big yeah. thing and I was kind of living vicariously in Kent and then back in Geo County um <clears throat> But, so I was in the Speed Bumps for a while, and then just kind of going different directions musically. Um, 
I still kind of wanted to move out of Ohio and kind of see more and do more stuff. Um, it was really fun to tour in that band because you got to see a lot of the country. I had traveled a little bit before that, but, yeah. you know, I'd never been to California before. What's the farthest you've gone with speed bumps? Uh, we went to L.A. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we went to the West Coast. Um, we did a long West Coast tour. Um, that tour actually turned 20, which was really fun. <laughs> we were out in, like, Texarkana, I think, turned 20. But, um, yeah, we went out to uh, California. Mostly it was always at least east of the Mississippi for the most part. We go down south sometimes to Georgia or Florida too, which was awesome. Um, but just kind of needed to change, do something a little different. And was Listen Little Man, like were you doing that during uh, Speed Bumps or after Speed Bumps? So this was a, such an awesome situation. So um, the drummer for the Speed Bumps, Patrick Hawkins, uh, knew uh, a, a guitar player that lived in Kent, Jeff Hennies. Uh, and they had played music together before. So I'm down there in Kent all the time with the speed bumps, but sometimes, you know, we'll have a rehearsal the day before and then a gig the next day, you know, we have a lot of time. So Patty and Jeff had been jamming a bit, and then I started jamming as the trio initially. So what would happen is Jeff lived in Kent, the speed bumps were in Kent. We would do a speed bumps rehearsal, let's say <coughs> on a Thursday afternoon, uh, you know, have a rehearsal Friday morning. Patty and I would go to Jeff's house, have a listen little man rehearsal, come back, and then we'd play a speed bumps gig that night. <laughs> so it just kind of developed into that, like, oh, we're, you know, I'm going to be in Kent. Let's do a listen little man practice as we're doing it. So then we just, it just worked out that yeah. way. So you know, you'd be down, down in that city for you know three four days, but then play with a bunch of different bands, which was awesome. And that was such a fun band. That was so different than the Speed Bumps. They were more like kind of groovy, folky Americana stuff. And this little man was like crazy person, prog rock, you know, That's awesome. jumping around. Yeah. Especially when Zayla joined the band, Alex Alvarez, who Alex has been hugely influential on me uh, as an artist and a musician person in general. Uh, but that was really fun uh, to play these kinds of shows and really kind of instill that like jumping around on stage thing. I'd really I haven't been in a band like that in a long time, but I'd really still love to like uh, you know get or at least try something like that. And were yeah. you supporting yourself on your music career at this point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've been uh, another um, thing that I had been doing. Bass, you know, it's kind of funny. I had started learning bass, and then right after I started learning guitar, I started teaching. Oh, okay. Um, so I started teaching. I had a guitar student at Newberry. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, I just kind of picked up students as I went and then um, working at different, you know, music stores or even just independently. So I had been doing that the whole time, too. So that was, you know, teaching, whatever. I've Yeah, I mean, I've basically been teaching as long as I've been playing, too, which is kind of funny to think about, you know. <laughs> it's like a, you know... 12 year old watching an 8 year old or something you know or I don't know it's, you uh, I don't know it, it's cool I could help a person learn right. well, you it was take your knowledge for and you're like here this is what I know exactly yeah. I still do that on certain instruments yeah. too you know I teach mm -hmm. banjo I'm not that you know great at banjo by any means but I'll get you started and then send you off in a direction yeah, but once you learn something you can like hey you know check this out here are the fundamentals right yeah exactly so teaching playing in multiple bands touring the country I mean I mean at 19, 20 years old, I mean, this is... You think you've made it as a rock star. Right? It was really fun <laughs> to go to New York City, you yeah. know, like, hanging out with all these people and partying and stuff. And it's, it was like an ultimate, like, you're free 
you're like fresh off the leash from your parents you know it's like ultimate and we're playing cool shows too and it was the first time i was ever really invested in a band to be like okay i've like i've 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 written music or i've written at least bass parts that go along with this i'm a part of this yeah and that was really cool that was the first time i had really experienced that um and be really invested in just you know the you know the the band neuroses of kind of pushing yourself in that way um neuroses just because it's a huge challenge to do and you know with social media and everything like that but it is just to be really passionate about it is really awesome and especially if you dig the people too i mean that's a huge oh, yeah. yeah that's a huge bonus honestly you know obviously but um yeah that was great um i was having a really good time doing that um doing all that stuff but then it was i just kind of felt like i needed a change you know just do something different and i had a friend from florida move to colorado um you know maybe a couple months before i actually left the speed bumps she had been there she was up in jamestown colorado which is basically up from boulder so it's still front range but it's in the mountains mm -hmm. and uh i had you know left the band so i had basically had a a free you know I was, yeah. I was available let's say <laughs> so I'm like yo what are you doing out there and she said come on out and you know come hang out so I went out there and it was awesome you know it's beautiful out in Colorado it was you know it's just super cool it was my first big road trip like that too my solo it was awesome and I stayed out there I was only supposed to stay for a week but it was December and I got snowed in actually so I got snowed in out there in Colorado um, so I had to stay and because I stayed, I met a bunch of musicians. And That's one awesome. of the musicians, who I'm still pretty tight with today, uh, he convinced me to move out there. So then I ended up moving to Boulder probably about two or three months after that. Yeah. He's like, man, you should just come out here, man. You know, and <laughs> it was really, uh, it was awesome. It was a really cool thing just to try something different and new. And it was beautiful. I landed, uh, I didn't know any of the people I moved in with out there. And it was in North Boulder. And Boulder is a very fancy city, especially now. But when I was there, too, it was, I mean, it's very, sh you know, it's very up. Pinky's up. Yeah. Pinky's up. Yeah. Super, it's very wealthy, but it's beautiful. I mean, Touristy the, and the uh, mountains and everything yeah, else. See you is there. Yeah, oh, the whole yeah. shebang. We lived in the one really cheap, like, uh, 1970s house <laughs> that they didn't throw a bunch of money in buy all the mansions in northwest boulder okay so i was maybe a block away and then a trail up to the mountains basically no shit. which was awesome it was a great location i lived with a bunch of other musicians who all um played full time yeah. um that was great it was really funny because the only context for music in boulder i had was a band called the motet and they're they're great. They're like a jazz fusion band, funk kind of band. Okay. And they're awesome. They're like really funky and jazzy and all this. And I was really into that um, at the time. And I thought like, oh cool, like Motet is from Boulder. All these bands in Boulder must be like uh, you know funky and jazzy. And I got there and there was this all banjos on the wall. And I'm like, <laughs> oh no, what have I done? <laughs> it ended up being very bluegrass heavy, which was still great. You know, oh, yeah. I was still happy about that. And honestly, it was cool uh, because I played upright bass. Um, not there aren't a lot of upright bass players, and if you're really good, uh, you can just work all the time. So you just, you're in you're playing bass for this band one night, bass for this band the other oh, night. Oh man, like I just, was juggling like twenty or twenty five bands at one point. In wow, and you damn, and, that's a lot. So and you just 
know all of their songs? Are they all playing the same shit? Like, I mean... A lot of times, yeah. If it's charted out, it helps. Or all like... Usually what I would do is I would chart out their music, so I'd listen to it and just get it that way. But then after that, what if do you, you play... What do you mean by chart out? So basically it's like um, you hear a song... And they're like you put lines on it. You can. It's kind of like a pseudo staff paper looking thing, but essentially what it is is just the key. Or if you use like the Nashville number system, it's like a number that represents whatever the chord is. Mm. And you just like one, and then here's the next bar. Or let's say for example you're using a chord, right? So if it's in the key of G, right? It goes G. Uh, let's say that's for four beats, and you do a line, and then maybe the next chord's a C, and you write C. And then you do another line to signify another four beats. It's just a way to kind of okay. that you could read it and basically know where you're going, um, you're even if it's not fresh in your head. You're reading the song. It's yeah. like a more rudimentary version of reading notation, basically. Okay. okay. Um, you simplify it. Basically, yeah. yeah, exactly. And another, I mean, the other aspect that helps a lot with that, especially with freelance work. Um, is the Nashville number system, which uh, Nashville musicians actually started doing in the 50s because what they would have, uh, they'd have all these recordings they'd have to do every day, but maybe they'd hear the song once and then go, okay, we're going to turn the recording device on. You have one chance to hit this, and if you mess up, that's what the song is because we only get one more shot to put the vinyl, you know? Yeah, right. So what they would say is, okay, it represents, like a number represents the number of the key... Uh, or like, let's say, you know, C is the fourth note of the G major scale, let's say, right? So, okay, you'd say, okay, this song's in G, it's a one, five, two, four, and the chorus goes five, two, four, five, one. Okay. And you're like, okay, so G, D, C, G, D. If you want to modulate it to A, you still know the numbers, you just superimpose that over a different key. Whoa. Okay. So that was really helpful. With that's kind of cool. You don't know any of the songs. They go, oh, no, this is an A. So it's called the Nashville number system? Nashville number system. Oh, shit. I've, I've never heard of that. Yeah, term. there's actually, I don't know if you want to plug into different podcasts, but there's another podcast called Cocaine and Rhinestones. Nice. Which is about all the like 1950s and 60s country music. And he did an awesome episode talking about how um, those bands developed, but then how they use that just because they don't know the songs. They've never even heard the songs. And they go, okay, here's this number, bam, bam, bam. And you can go, oh, okay, now I get a sense. I get a blueprint of my, of my brain how that works. So in that way, you can learn a ton of songs. Huh. But just even go like, you know, um, you know, the number one, number four, you know, with your fingers, let's say, right? Um, so, yeah, a lot of work, which was great. When I first moved to Boulder, I just needed some <laughs> dough, right? So I worked. I worked uh, for a moving company, which was great. <laughs> that was probably awesome. It was great. Yeah, it was. It was. It was really good work. It was hard work, but it's a good. It's a good young man's job, you know. And uh, and I worked at a basically like a fast casual. It's like a Chipotle but Mediterranean version. Okay. Um, and that was funny too. You know, you think about. I think about art too. It's not. You know, with music, let's say, music is my main avenue of creativity, but you can do all these different things, too. You can draw, too, but drawing will help music, right, or do other things. Everything is all under the umbrella of just being creative, right? Yeah. So it was funny to me because I would make pitas in the morning at Garbanzo. <laughs> Garbanzo was the name of the place. Yeah. And uh, I always had this extra pita, and that was just something that they'd say, I just throw it away, you know, it's, you know, whatever. Right. But I, I always had so much fun. What I would do is I would make pita art, <laughs> like a little heart or a whatever and I'd throw it through the oven 
and then I'd like stuck it in the, wherever people would walk. They'd have to come around the corner and see my artwork of this of whatever <laughs> I made the day of, right? So I remember my favorite one. It was just fun to be creative because yeah. it was like I don't, I don't want to say it's a soul killing job, but it's corporate looking thing. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, it, yeah. You just get ground down by it. Everything's measured out to the T. You need to find levity. You know, it's 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 yeah. re- those are tough gigs. Um, I <laughs> I remember I made a uh, a person. Uh, that whose arm had fallen off, and we had this. It was like pickled beet that they would put in the pita. So I took a bunch of pe- uh, pickled beet and shoved it in the body of the bread man. So it looked like he had like this bread man. I drew a little like screaming face on him, you know. So you see this like horrific little gore bread scene yeah. happening, and I just wanted the managers to like snap out of the stupor. Or, you know, it was fun. It was you yeah. know, it's funny those kind of jobs. You always look like retrospectively, it's fun. You, you kind of forget about like the hard parts of it, but. Yeah, I don't know, you yeah, know, stuff like right. that, I guess, sometimes, but, uh, but yeah, then gigs were happening, it was great, teaching too. So, from Colorado, now you came out with solo albums, you have solo albums, mm. mm-hmm. did you, you came out with one before you left Colorado, or for Colorado? Yeah, yeah, so I had, uh, around the time, I record, so we did a Speed Bumps album, we did a Listen Little Man album, um, and then I... Just had a bunch of original music, so I thought, you know, in the recording spirit, I felt a little more confident at that point with, like, the actual studio element of it. Mm. So, yeah, I recorded an album uh, at a studio in Akron. Um, Yeah, it was cool. It was a good experience, you know. I didn't really know what I was doing, and I was just kind of more just documenting these sounds that I had written, you know. I didn't really have a plan for them. It was more just a, here's a way that I can feel represented. Or at least coming out of the speed bumps, I can say... Here is something that I can at least show that's me. Yeah, not just a bass line added to a band. Right. Yeah. Because um, that one yeah. you you played the ukulele, you played the guitar, you did pretty much everything for your album. Yeah, I did a lot of it. Yeah. Which I mean, that shows right there your your range. Mm-hmm. I, I think you learned banjo for it, mm-hmm. but you just learned <laughs> like I mean you did everything. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what? What was that first album, and how did that take you to, I guess, Colorado? So I would say that first album was cool just to have finished, you know, to, like, duck uh, for posterity, right? And that is right. an accomplishment. Yeah. I mean, that's a big accomplishment. Well, yeah, you're, for you're sure. Studio, oh, yeah. You're a studio album. I mean, you yeah. have a... That's, that's huge. And the classic, you know, with uh, releasing albums, too, there's always, like, an element of... Um, we're about to run out of time because the deadline or whatever. So my plan was, so the end of the mixing, I had finished mixing the album the day before I moved to Colorado. So I'm not in contact with these guys. So just on the phone. So then, you know, I'm in Colorado for a while, but we're on the phone and email and corresponding that way. And that can be kind of challenging. And then I was going to come back to Ohio that summer um, to release the album, mm-hmm. you know, so then everything was kind of pushed back and all this last second I remember um, calling in Colorado I'm like oh man what's like this is wrong and then the funny thing with CD Baby they'll uh, I don't know if CD Baby does this anymore but um, you'll like order a bunch of CDs let's say and then you know it has to be processed through and then they give you an estimate or you can rush it you know it's kind of a mm-hmm. game okay. and, you know yeah. you can you can get it on time if or... pay this much or we can wait or whatever it's, it's all you know it's just part of the deal but um, yeah, so that was really cool. It was fun to document. And then, as far as, like, 
in Colorado, I, it was funny because I didn't really have a particular plan. I kind of had like a vague sense of I'm going to be a thing out there, but I didn't really push it necessarily. I, you know, I sent it to some different things, but it was more just uh, something I felt an urge to do after being in the speed bumps, perhaps. Because yeah. I had I had done some like DIY albums with my dad when I was a teenager, just to you know make a little extra dough, sling CDs yeah. on gigs or whatever. But um, yeah, it was just kind of a more like a learning experience type thing for me, I suppose. But when I went to Colorado, I sort of reassumed the role of more working musician because there were a ton of way better musicians there um, and a lot of work to do. And I, I mean, I needed the dough for sure too. Um, and I could work because I played bass and there was a lot of bluegrass out there, which is like acoustic, you know, if you don't know bluegrass, it's kind of, I don't want to say it's uh, deliverance, but basically that, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they're ring-a-ding-a-ding band yeah, stuff, yeah. right? Yep. That's the idea. So it was really fun. And I played with a bunch of different bands and met a bunch of people. Um, I joined a band probably within six months of moving there called Long Road Home, who has this banjo player, uh, his name's Pete Wernick, um, and he's known as Dr. Banjo. Nice. And he was in a band called Hot Rise in the 80s, and they were pretty... I mean, relatively famous bluegrass band, um, and he was the first guy to make banjo instructional videos. Wow! <laughs> so that was his claim to fame, and he's known internationally. The fiddle player before I joined that band uh, said that he was invited to Russia, and he like they did like shows in Russia, and he, they goes to you know they travel all wow. around just because banjo like that he was the first guy to mm-hmm. do yeah. that. So that was kind of a trip because I didn't even really know anybody in any scene, you know, at all. But in that scene, you know, every little subgenre, you have your famous people or not famous people or whatever. So that was really funny because he's famous in bluegrass. So trying to go, you know, from we are we play this festival, we have to get to this, you know, point B here to get you know to the Uber back to the airport so we can go back to the thing, and just getting from point A to point B just be swamped, you know. It was so such a crazy experience. Went to Canada. Huh. To, uh, um, Victoria Island, or not Victoria Island, uh, Vancouver Islands, okay. a couple years in a row. That was awesome. And yeah, we travel around, just kind of do stuff like that. And that was really cool. Mostly bluegrass. Um, I joined a band with my roommates. We all jammed all the time. My one roommate at the time, his name was Andy Thorne, and he plays for Leftover Salmon, which is another like kind of more, I don't want to say hippie bluegrass, but kind of more high adrenaline with drums and that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. you know. So that was great, and I'm learning um, all this bluegrass music, which is something that I hadn't really learned very much. You know, I had kind of, you know, scratched the surface somewhat of that stuff in the past, but I was really in it now, which was cool. And there were festivals there. I ended up um, there's this festival there called Rocky Grass. They have a band competition, and all these awesome musicians are there, and they're really high quality musicians. Uh, is that Red Rocks? Uh, no, it's in Lyons, Colorado, actually. It's okay. a, called, a place called Plant Bluegrass. And I didn't have a ticket that first year I would moved there, but my uh, buddy went with his family, and he goes like, okay, well, we'll see if I can get you in. And his, uh, his brother-in-law is like a really renowned tattoo artist, apparently, and he went to him and goes, hey, man, you know, he doesn't have the wristband. And the guy went, okay, just hang on one second. And he took a blue Solo cup, cut it up, took a Sharpie, put all the little dots on it, made a little insignia to look like the Rocky Grass, took tape, taped it on me. No way. And it was identical to the past. <laughs> so fucking way. So I got to see the show, That's which was awesome. awesome. You know, I see That's all these cats. so cool. It was so funny. I still have that thing. 
Um, Hell yeah. Yeah, so it was super cool, you know, like, and then being musically, you know, bombarded and all this stuff. The other really huge thing that happened to me when I had first moved to Colorado is that I started playing um, extensively in, like, 1920s and 30s swing music. So, like, gypsy Ooh, jazz. That's probably pretty cool. It was super awesome because now you're playing for dancers and, like, you know, yeah. jazz dancers. Um, yeah, travel around a bunch all over Colorado. I played with this guy. His name is Jeremy Money. Uh, he lives. He's from Boulder originally, and he is just unbelievably good. Um, and played a bunch of different music doing that. So that was really awesome to be able to do that. Um, still teaching. Also, I was teaching at this place. In how was it hard? Was it hard to get students when you were out there? Uh, when I was doing uh, like independently or just posting on Craigslist yes yeah but when you work for like a studio it's way easier because you're you know you you're seem reputable studio. yeah basically yeah. so you know well, you're not gonna like drop your seven you know seven year old daughter off with like all right I found this guy on Craigslist you know <laughs> hope, <laughs> hope his uh, hope his website's you know, <laughs> but uh, yeah so I ended up um, getting hooked up with a couple different um, teaching studios one was in remember where that was in Colorado. I think it was in northern Colorado. So Aurora maybe or somewhere. That's not northern Colorado. But somewhere. Uh, Rockley Arts. And I was teaching there. And then the owner also set up instruments, like orchestral instruments. He was a luthier. Oh, wow. And he hired me as his apprentice. So really? I was I was working on uh, orchestral instruments for probably about six months. Yeah, I was replanning necks. What he would do is get uh, like an order for a school. And then uh, he would set up all the violins, cellos, violas, basses for a school in a set period of time, basically. So they go, here are all these, you know, here's the body of, you know, the bodies of 20 cellos. We need them ready by the same. Set them up by this time. Wow. And, like, violins, too. I mean, he probably had, like, 120 violins in there. And, um, wow. he, you know, in the first week, he's showing me how to do it to recontour. Basically, it's, it's really challenging because if you think about a violin... The bottom of it, like the bottom of the fingerboard and the top, the nut is what they would call that, the top, that already has like a, like a, uh, what would you call that? Like a grade, curve, a curve, yeah. right? From point A to point B, it's the same level, but there's a curve in between those two. Now, if you look at it from the other way, side or like from the bottom up, that's also a curve. So it has to be perfectly curved. Wow. So as you're recontouring, you know, there might be a little bump down, you know, closer to the bottom of the fingerboard, but you're working on, let's say a bump closer to the nut you get that bump out and then this other bump is now higher so when you're recontouring you have to recontour the whole thing you can't you can't isolate oh, it has yeah. to be the whole thing so i was recontouring i was you know uh doing tuning pegs and doing all this stuff was it, hard for you to pick up? it was very stressful yeah it was hard i mean it was it took a it took a, it mean, took a little bit before yeah but this is uh, this is like uh, you're, you're taking a, a like a, a blade and you're scraping off ebony for really? hours. Yeah, especially oh, with wow. cellos, especially with basses. The basses, because they're they you, they just would come to the uh, store completely unset up. So it's just basically wood, right? Like it's a wooden body. It's never been set up, so the neck has never been worked on at all. So you have like a oh, I, what's the I can't even think what the approximate kind of scraping device would be it's like something you would I, I could equate it to this it's something that you would like hook onto the bottom of your shoe and it's really 
wintry outside, you know what I mean? Like huge teeth, and you're just, you know, like scraping, and there are just <laughs> mountains of ebony, and you're not even close because there's so much you have to take off yeah. that yeah. thing. So that was kind of stressful. Like I went through maybe a week of training, and he goes, okay, do all these violins now. And then, so it was a little Jeez. stressful. It was really cool, though, and it was awesome to learn uh, about all that stuff. He ended up get, having some, like, medical issues, and then I he had to let, let me go. But, uh, yeah, that was a crazy experience to oh. be able to do. Um, and then also, <laughs> I would work on violins for a couple hours and then to their, go to their store, which was maybe, I don't know, 10 minutes away, and then teach all evening. <laughs> I also, yeah, and it was, it was, it was really cool. Um, another... Thing that happened to me in Colorado, which was extremely helpful, especially when the Rockley Arts gig fell through. I started playing at this sandwich shop called Potbelly. You ever heard of Potbelly? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so Potbelly, you know, it's a sandwich shop based out of Chicago, and they used to have music every day at lunch for people. And it was very strange to me because it was just like another kind of corporate sandwich shop place, you know. But they would have live music every day, uh, and you'd be on payroll. You know, oh, you're an you're you're an employee almost. Yeah, <laughs> basically. So That's and it was really cool. funny. Yeah, it was amazing and super helpful. So I they had a bunch of potbellies in the front range, so I got tied in there and I was playing five days a week every lunch day. Just at different ones. Different ones. I have I have like okay Monday and Wednesday I'm in Denver, Tuesday and Thursday I'm at the Boulder location. Friday, maybe in Denver again, or I'll go to Westminster or do a different location. But every day two hours so you're getting tips you know they hook up with some food or whatever so that was extremely helpful for consistency because as a, an artist or a musician anything that's consistent is so helpful because you know you have all these gigs I've been fortunate to be able to teach because that's another like you know reserve shoot basically yeah, uh, whereas sometimes you just have a bunch of gigs fall through or like oh man August I'm super booked but September I have one gig yeah. <laughs> That'll happen, or you have all these gigs fall through. So any level of extra, you know, and that's probably true in a lot of different things, but um, it was so helpful, and I could just practice songs, you know. I remember I, I worked at the Potbelly uh, right in the dead of Denver on the 16th Street Mall uh, the day after the Broncos won the Super Bowl. Oh, God, that was and they had, shit show. Um, well, it, I, know, I always walked in because parking was rough. It was a nice walk-in. Yeah. Um, you know, it was probably down there around 9.30 or 10 and people were just hammered you know they were just having such a good time and it was awesome but I played um, and it was just such a scene you know it was a very awesome. cool kind of like oh yeah this is an interesting moment do you play like the same things or like would you did you play like a little bit more upbeat for the drunks different yeah it was always <laughs> different stuff you know usually it would be background music for the most part but yeah people would request stuff sometimes I'd have a little tip bucket they'd throw tips out there um yeah, it was really helpful, especially with writing music. Um, trying you know, stuff out. Trying it's stuff like out. Open mic, working on your stuff. Yeah, you're just honing, 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 you know. And then I have gigs on top of that, and then teaching on top of that in Colorado. Um, and yeah, I was working so much. I got the chance, I think it was probably, when was that? I guess that would have been like four or five months after I had moved to Colorado. I joined a band. Uh, called it was this dude Chris Thompson and Coral Creek was the name of the band and uh, we played all over the place in Colorado and I got a chance to go to Europe with him we toured oh, wow. uh, southern Germany Switzerland and a little bit of France Damn. like uh, I think we were there for like, two weeks cool. yeah playing bluegrass playing bluegrass festivals <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> yeah it's, it was crazy and that like was such a cool experience 
And I was playing upright bass in that band, and obviously it's hard to travel with an upright bass. They have fold-up basses now, which are really hip, but the conventional like upright bass that you put in a case, the big cases, they don't use those anymore. They don't. They won't allow them anymore. Really? Yeah. Certain airlines may, but yeah, I've, they're wow unusable basically now. Um, but I got a chance to borrow a bass. It was like this 110-year-old bass this guy in Munich had that they let me use. And it was so fun to be able to just share that type of music with people that were really into it. Apparently, I didn't realize this at the time, but in Germany, Gunsmoke was really big in the 70s. And that's that like cowboy show, yeah. right? Yeah. So we're in, uh, we were in Munich, and we were walking around <laughs> looking for this club where we were going to play that night. And it's, you know, like... Europe, you know, like it has a different look to it. Germany, you know, Bavaria style kind of stuff. And we found the venue. We walked in and uh, it went from, you know, Germany to uh, Hank Williams records. And here's a gun on the wall. And here's, you know, like a big steer head. Yeah. They have stuff. And here's like a Roger Miller album. And like, it's, it's like country hardcore country. Nailed yeah. it. Hardcore. They were going all in, you know. They had these, you know, big German dudes in like cowboy hats, and they like they had probably just, you know, they bought that so they could wear that at that place, <laughs> yeah. and you know, embody it. It was it was super awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, and we played, and there's something. I guess it's probably true with a lot of different genres. American music has spread so far. So if you're an American doing American music, it's very like, wow, look at this. You know, this is crazy. Um, people really liked it. The funny thing I I found the next night we were off. So we went back to that same club just to see what was playing. And it was like a rockabilly band or a country band, but they were German, right? Yeah. So they would sing in English, but then speak German between oh, wow. the songs. Yeah. And How we was were, the accent? Like, it was good. Oh. They did a good job. Huh. Yeah, they did. They, yeah, usually they sing like phonetically. So it's, even if they don't know, you know, they can still make it sound, sound good. But we went in there, they finished a song, and the guy got on the mic and he said, we hear that the Americans are here. And then they invited us up, and uh, a couple of us played a song with them, and I remember looking out, because that was like a Saturday night, it was really busy for them, and looking out, um, the people in the bar, they were all like, wow, this is amazing. Like, these, these Americans in this American place singing? Like, that, yeah. that guy, he sounds like he has a real country accent, that guy. You know? And he just, cool. he just came from the audience. And he, he just... just where he just came from the streets. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So that was really fun, you know, to get the opportunity to do something like that. And um, we, uh, yeah, we got a chance to travel around a little bit in that band. And then uh, you have other questions. I'm just kind of vamping at this point. I mean, I, I mean, okay. So after, <laughs> I don't know if you want to lead it, but I, yeah, yeah. I just, I mean, I mean, you have so many different stories. It's, it's nuts. Okay, so after you did eventually come back from Colorado, how long were you in Colorado for? Give me a number of years. Okay, so I was in Colorado for basically four years, um, right? So I had been playing music in Colorado for a long time, doing all this stuff. I mean, Coral Creek, and then. Uh, you moved back to Cleveland. Well, even before that, what happened was I was playing a gig at this place called Cervantes in Denver. They had a lot of shows there. And they always had a bunch of bands there. And it was interesting there because they have a stage in the audience zone. But there are, it's like stairs behind the stage that you walk down and you kind of, the green room for the band is under the stage, essentially. Hmm. So there's, it's a nice green room, but you kind of have to duck out behind the band that's playing to get out. So we're playing, and uh, 
I met my future wife there because her band opened for my band and we oh, started wow. meeting we met in that green room uh -huh. on that, which was great you know she plays fiddle Christine uh, and uh, that was really awesome to meet her and then what was really hilarious at the time so that band Coral Creek uh, it was a bluegrass band right so the instrumentation would be guitar I'd play bass usually a mandolin which is like a ukulele looking thing you know mm. and then fiddle so the fiddle player had to quit Coral Creek. So then we all met Christine that night. Yep. So I started dating Christine. And about a month later, the boss of that band hires Christine to play in that same nice. band. So it's kind of like, all right, well, let's see if this relationship is uh, going to make it. Because right. now you have to work professionally together. We've right, only yeah. even known each other for a month. Right? Yeah. So we had a few gigs. But right off the bat, we had maybe two weeks of local gigs. And then we went on a tour to... Uh, the Northwest for a week and a half. Oh, wow. In the van. Wow. You know, playing tours. Yep. Um, you know, my sister lives up there. We saw her, went down to Oregon, saw another buddy of mine. I just saw Jackson, actually. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that was really hilarious because we're like, all right, we're still gelling. This is good. And then two weeks later, that band, we went on a two-week tour to the U.S. and British Virgin Islands. Oh, wow. That was probably pretty cool. That was incredible, yeah. That was very incredible. And that we could go and do that together, and we could still vibe. It was a good, like, mm -hmm. okay, this, like, this might work. Yeah, this, right, like, yeah. this girl's cool. Oh, yeah. Um, so that was really amazing to be able to just kind of fall in that situation. And to be able to travel, um, you know, and go do that. And again, with the same upright bass situation, right? So you can't travel with upright bass. So you borrowed <clears throat> one down there? There's two bases on St. Thomas. <laughs> and we borrowed one of them. Uh, and the guy was super nice, you know, he let us use it, and I, I could pluck it. And the strings were so coated with salt, it was insane. It was, you know, because it's like basically yeah. Yeah. Know, a tiny little island surrounded by salt, essentially. So the strings were kind of gnarly, but it was so fun to do that. And we go to these, uh, you know, different little islands or whatever and play and do different stuff. Went to the British side, you know, oh, so wow. we played over there. And, um, it was really funny. I remember one time we were walking to... The venue from where we were staying and it was pretty rural kind of rugged you know mm -hmm. and these kids were kind of following us just checking out what was going on because i had this big upright bass you know so i you know they were like talking and kind of giggling and i turned around put the bass down play some notes at them and then they'd all giggle and i picked the bass up and walk <laughs> and then like that went on for a little while you know just yeah. kind of showing them this crazy thing and then we got to the um venue and I walked in there and I just remember this one kid saying yo man look at that big ting he has <laughs> <laughs> that was that was so awesome yeah. it was cool you know it's fun just to be able to share music like that and it was awesome yeah so what so what brings you back home to Ohio what brought you back to Northeast Ohio that is an excellent question I'm gonna crack a water for this one yeah. so basically what happened was so Christine uh, she played fiddle she had just started playing music at the time we had well she didn't start playing she had learned Suzuki method as a child, and then she got into Texas style fiddle and did ch uh, competitions. She won competitions really? when she was younger. Yeah. Wow. Um, and she kind of gave it up for a little while, but then she got back into it because the bluegrass scene and it's a cooler kind of thing. And she ended up joining a band that was really kind of up and coming band in the front range. And she toured, you know, all over Europe. Went to the UK a bunch of times. Went to Canada a bunch of times. Um, she did all kinds of stuff. I ended up joining a band. I was I was not in that band for a very long time, but one of those like let's put all our energy into this and see if we can yeah. make it grow. Yeah, and it just wasn't the right fit for me. You know, it wasn't. I like you know all those cats and 
but it just it wasn't it wasn't the right thing and I was getting yeah. kind of another I was in that same space where I needed to kind of move on Colorado's beautiful but it was time to just kind of you spent your time there it do, something, do else. something else yeah, yeah just try something else so uh, we uh, Christine and I had always really liked Seattle my sister lives there so we had uh, we moved to Seattle that would have been beginning of 2016 oh how long were you in Seattle for then? So six months, basically. <coughs> oh, okay. okay. Yeah, we were there. I forget which specific month. I think it might have been like March we moved, and then we got back to Cleveland in December. So it was probably over six months. But yeah, we were there for a while. That was an awesome experience. That was a crazy thing. I fell right in with a bunch of bands there from contacts I had in Colorado. One of the coolest oh, bands, wow. one of the coolest bands I ever played with uh, was this, it's called the Solomon Douglas Heptet. And it was a seven-piece hot jazz band, oh, and they, you know, cool. and I was playing guitar, um, and it was just so good. Those cats were so tight, and dancers, you know, you'd always play for dancers with that kind of stuff mm-hmm. too. Um, that I really, really love like swing music and gypsy jazz music. It's so fun. I didn't mention this. Um, I mentioned this in Colorado every year. There's something called the 1940s Ball. There's a like a historical aircraft hangar mm-hmm. out there, so you have B-52s and all that kind of stuff, and they throw a basically big swing dance party there. So they put a stage up, and everyone dresses up like they're in the 40s, and they go and they swing dance. But there's like, oh, here's a P-51 Mustang, and here's a C-47, cool. and all this, and you're playing like music yeah. from that era. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah. Um, but Seattle was great. I had um, I fell in a bunch of different bands, which was really cool. Um, pretty much local yeah for the most part I did some freelance work with this band called the Western uh, Flyers they were based out of Texas they play like Texas style I did some shows in Texas with them Um, but uh, yeah this other band called the Western Centuries did some work for them Um, mostly Oregon Washington for the most part a little bit of Idaho but relatively in that zone up there um, and at the time, so we had moved to Seattle, basically to just try something different. Uh, it was really beautiful out there, hang out with my sister. It was extremely expensive. And at the time, we were both kind of just trying to figure out what we wanted to do, you know? I was still a musician, still supporting myself off of doing that, teaching to, mm-hmm. I was even able to get students in Seattle, which was crazy. Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. Um, but Christine, she didn't, she never really wanted to be a musician necessarily, right? Um, and she had been leaning, um, pretty heavily towards healthcare, actually being a nurse. Mm-hmm. So at the time, you know, we were kind of figuring ourselves out in Seattle and having a good time. We were there in the summer, which was nice. So we didn't have yeah. all that gray raininess, yeah. much, <laughs> you know, uh, but it was beautiful. It was funny. We lived right across the street from the zoo and they'd have, uh, like concerts at the zoo. So you'd hear, you know, right across the street. And I would sometimes work out on the other side of the street because they had like a jungle gym and stuff like that. Um, but the stage was right there. So you'd hear like, oh, here, I, you know, here's Weird Al Yankovic, probably <laughs> 40 meters away playing, playing outward, but you could hear it from our window, you know? Awesome. So yeah. it was really awesome. It was so funny. Um, you know, I remember one night Damian Marley was playing, and we are just at <laughs> home, like, with the window open. Nice. And then they started playing, you know, No Woman, No Cry or something, and the crowd just explodes, <laughs> you know? And they're like, this is pretty, this is pretty fun. Yeah. I was Washington at the time, so I think it was pretty legalized there, up there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I, uh, I, uh, I lived in Colorado when marijuana became legal. Oh, that was probably wild. Oh, man. The, uh, yeah, all the dispensaries were just blowing up like crazy, and I remember, uh, 
you know, one of them said, uh, like, the end of Prohibition. <laughs> yeah, <you know. laughs> and at the time, I was playing music from the 1920s, so I'm like, yeah, see? <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, Washington, I mean, that was, they were... So short time in Washington, but you came just home in time for Cleveland winter. Right, yep, right back in time. Uh, December, you know, we got right where you landed right in December. Um, pretty good situation, you know, we live um, right close to my aunt, actually the musician aunt, um, and that's great. And then, yeah, I mean, because I played music so much out here before, I fell into a bunch of bands basically right away. And teaching, I taught at the Beck Center out here in Lakewood for a little while, um, and other uh, different academies and things like that um, but yeah I fell into a bunch of different bands that was cool toured again a bunch of different mostly east you know east coast kind of stuff mm-hmm. um, that was great Christine became a nurse she went through the nursing program at Tri-C and CSU did the whole shebang that's cool um, yep and uh, we still played music though the whole time we still played gigs together like we've been playing as a duo ever since we met too wow. so we'd always just play gigs together we're called Bonus and the King because nice. Christine King <laughs> um, so yeah that was great you know um, still be able to play with her she played you know played with a couple other uh, people too not as much though because she was so busy with nursing school um, so that was really cool and doing that kind of stuff and then so you've been back for about six years now so mm-hmm. are you have you dropped any more solo stuff have you done any like bigger bands or have you just kind of worked in the local circuit and doing your lessons and living mm-hmm. life yeah so initially i did mostly freelance work with different groups and then uh you know i wanted to kind of be able to put my energy behind something a little bit more again or have a have something to kind of get excited about i suppose or just to be able to throw your energy into something like creatively you know um so i ended up joining a band uh that my wife had been playing with for a little while um and that was bluegrass we played together for a little while that was a couple years i guess through the pandemic um and as How far that affect everything with the pandemic? Oh, tremendously, yeah. yeah. I mean, it shut everything down for the most part, yeah. Because even then, you couldn't do lessons. I mean, were you doing, like, Zoom lessons? I went to Zoom, yeah. I went oh, mostly wow. to Zoom, yeah. On the spot, yeah. And I was going to school, too, actually, at the time, too. So everything shifted over. Everything was, like, uh, Zoomed up. Wow. Um, but as far as... So before the pandemic, though, I did have... So the Jeff from Listen Little Man... You know, when I moved back, I wanted to start making music with him again. That was a cool outlet because Jeff and I had been writing music before. Mm-hmm. So now it's like, oh, it's just like writing music. You know, we're not trying to, mm-hmm. you know, take over the world or anything. We just want to make some cool sounds, right? And that was really refreshing because when I was, I mean, other bands that I have been with, a lot of times, because it's so expensive to record yourself, there are a lot of times is more incentive to sound like something that, I guess I should say, is relevant to something else that people know or perhaps you take your art and you direct it in a certain way so as for a certain outcome you know like oh here's let's say here's this band that's really popular we're not as popular but if we can kind of sound similar to them you might gain we might we could open for them and maybe get a ton of fans or whatever so the the art itself I feel like it's somewhat compromised. I think if is you is that how like a scene grows I guess I suppose I think I mean the scene perhaps is something that is more of like this is, you know, let's say, uh, blues music as like an umbrella, right? Like that's a scene. Like yeah. we hear all these different bands of blues. Now, whether or not you emulate a specific blues band, okay. 
So, you know, like, let's say just like, uh, like you're a rock and roll band, but you sound very similar to Led Zeppelin, mm -hmm. you know, like that type of situation right. where you could get yeah. them. So yeah, that kind of idea. Now, when you went back and did that, you moved back and you're working, did you influence a lot of the bluegrass that you learned in the last four years? Did, did that play a take or, or even the swing music? I mean, were you doing more yeah. like a progressive swing style? Man, so yeah, I had over those years living in Colorado, I'd written a ton of music, and I hadn't really used it. I'd used the songs in different bands sometimes, you know, but never like let's record this, you know. So I had a ton of them just kind of floating around. I wasn't using them. Um, with uh, when I started playing with Jeff, started using that music. So like let's say here's a random combination of different things, right? So now we're on. We're unhindered by the expectation of what you're supposed to sound like. Mm -hmm. We're just here making things that sound cool to us. Yeah. Um, so that was great. We did that, and that band was called Tone Deaf Mockingbird. Nice. Simply <laughs> as an artistic endeavor, you know, we were just making some cool sounds. Is that on the interwebs? Out. It's on the interwebs, yep. Tone Deaf Mockingbird. The album's called Little Boat. I'm playing guitar, Jeff's playing guitar, and Christine, my wife, is actually playing bass on that album. Wow. And that was really fun. That was a really cool thing because then it was, okay, I did something out of myself because I wanted to, I could sense myself artistically moving in a direction where I wanted to start, I wanted to take all of these tools that I had learned to then utilize them to create something that was of my own doing. Um, and it was, you know, taking a long time to get to that point, but Tone Deaf was a great first step for me because... Uh, Jeff was great because I could write to his ideas, but then I could show him my ideas, and then we could put wow. something in there. And it's if you listen to that album, it doesn't really, it's not really like a specific genre. It's kind of like a bunch of different stuff, but it's mm. still, it's not so weird that it's unlistenable. You see, it's it's interesting because there's a spectrum where you have stuff that sounds, it feels good and sounds good, and it's really simple, but basically is not very original. Yeah. Let's say. But then on the other side of the spectrum, you have extremely creative, complex, but almost unlistenable for people that don't have that, like, audio palette, basically. Yeah. So there's a sweet spot in there that's like, that's like the El Dorado of sonic findings. Like, if you could figure out how to write a song that is gripping and interesting enough for someone that doesn't know anything about music, and it's also gripping and interesting for someone that, like, knows about music. That is the sweet spot, and that is that's my goal to try to find that spot, that niche, that okay. that thing where it's it's really good, but everyone can appreciate it, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so with Tone Diff, that was a good first step. So then uh, I did that, and then I was just playing with a couple different bands. I was playing with this band, the band that Christine and I played with was called the David Mayfield Parade. Mm -hmm. uh, this guy David Mayfield, uh, he's been playing uh, for years, different bands. Um, He's from Ohio. We lived in Nashville for a while. Mm -hmm. um, played at his band. You know, we weren't writing at that time yet. We were playing mostly his songs. But all this music that I had written in Colorado, even uh, before I had moved to Colorado, some of those songs, you know, that CD was, you know, almost 10 years old at that point. Wow. Yeah. Um, so then, basically, uh, I wanted to just documented. Uh, not even for any reason. More like a collection. It's like, here's just something that I have documented. You made a mixtape. I need to get these songs out of my head so that I can send them into the universe and mm -hmm. put new songs in my head basically. You know, it's time to time to shake up the yeah. Etch-A-Sketch a bit. 
So that's what the walk, uh, a walk in the park is. So I did a Kickstarter for that. Uh, I think there are maybe 12, 13 songs on that. Some, you know, some songs I had written two months before, and others I wrote when I was, you know, 15. Oh wow! So it was the whole, like, literally documenting everything that I had done. Um, so how, that how does Kickstarter? How did that work? Did it work out? Kickstarter. Uh, I kind of overshot the price because I wanted to pay the musicians a little more because, you know, you just want to pay people. But it worked out. Yeah, I had, you know, the the thing, you, you put a number out there and you get however much and you basically just buy out whatever it is. Mm. You know, so even if you have to spend a little bit, it's more than, yeah. or it's less than what it would be otherwise. So it, it did work, though. Um, things were covered, so it was awesome to be able to, uh, I think I might have bought out or something. I can't really recall, but it was, uh, yeah. So that was a really cool thing to have been able to document um, those songs. And for me, I don't, after playing music with all these different bands and being kind of, you know, sometimes in a band, sometimes kind of tangentially involved with a band, either I lived, you know, with a bunch of musicians who were always in bands, playing in bands, being invested in bands, doing all this stuff. And just seeing what that kind of does to people's brains or even how like how you promote yourself in this modern era, it's really it's the internet age. It's all about a, it's all about an internet presence nowadays. Mm-hmm. And it's it's more like I think it's really cool that people can everybody can record themselves and put themselves online, you know. I think that actually is yeah. a cool thing because before you know, you there was the, there was the gatekeepers of, you know, you sing into my can and I'll give you a, you know, five hundred dollars or five dollars probably. Right. Um, but now, I mean, you it's it's a lot easier to do it by yourself. It's a lot easier mm-hmm. to do it from home. I yeah. mean, look at this. I mean, we're just right. Mm-hmm. We started a podcast chatting around a microphone because that's what we did before. Is like, why not record it and bring cool people in and friends and stuff? I mean, your mm-hmm. music easily put it online I mean YouTube is a huge platform yeah totally you use totally. Spotify uh, yep nice yep and it's interesting because you get a lot of people doing that it does oversaturate somewhat I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing I think the issue a lot of times especially now when everyone's kind of hopped up on dopamine all the time uh, where a lot of times you could just being a musician isn't enough really because you need like a big video, you need to have all this other stuff like the social you need the media. Visuals. Right. You need the visuals, and a lot of times too, because you have all these people, a lot of times the art falls to the lowest common denominator. Mm-hmm. So whatever is you know quality isn't necessarily the thing that's promoted a lot of times. And if you have like you know a French bulldog doing backflips on a trampoline, you'll get eight million views, yeah. as opposed to some you know like you're actually trying to do something and it just doesn't really work. Yeah. I think that that, even even since the internet started, it has really hurt artists a lot because before, people, you know, you get a record deal and maybe you get 15% of total income as an artist, but you're slinging albums, so you could make money and they don't own you as an artist, they don't own your music. But now, because streaming platforms streaming they own the music and then also you know you just don't make very much doing that so the the so how uh, do they make money now doing it don't you get like less than a cent of you or something like that it's less than a half a cent it's like uh, .00 something like uh, 
Billy Joel took it to, I don't know if it was Congress or Supreme Court or something, in like 2015, because We Didn't Start the Fire was streamed like, you know, 500 million times. And he got like $3,600. <laughs> Jesus. That's so Jesus. That, that element uh, of it, now you have all these starving musicians who are recording an album, 50 grand, mm-hmm. if you want all the stuff from publish, publisher, and you're going to promote it, and you got a tour, sling merch. Wow. 40 grand, 50 grand, easy. Wow. I mean, you could do it for cheaper, but the conventional way? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Easy easy that much. Wow. And then, uh, you know, all this other stuff. So it really kind of crushes down the art form. It, it makes sense why, especially, you know, a place that's expensive. You think about New York or Nashville or, or even Denver for sure, too. So expensive to record an album. You have to recoup your payments somehow, especially if everyone's trying to live off of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So you got to tour all the time. And I think that I've noticed so many musicians become so jaded because this the nature of how you are presented as an artist now it's just so different so i think a lot of people because they don't get that like you're a legitimate form of art in the world you know um it just kind of messes with people a lot of times or even like i need to be famous like the famous thing like this vague thing of fame like yeah. whatever that even is like that's what I mean a lot of people that I've interacted with that's what they're and now it's soul. like now it's like I'm not famous I went viral right I went viral right I got yeah. I blew up or this and that it's all about someone it's all about the internet though but I understand where you're coming from yeah and I, I think too like viral is like a quick hit but easily forgot it's like a quick fad almost yeah, it's a one hit wonder it's yeah in a sense and I think the idea of fame it's interesting because being famous actually really easy nowadays because you just have to have enough funding right you know i mean now you make one tiktok video and you're like this superstar right and i think that a lot of musicians that want to be famous really what it is is that they just want to feel comfortable with their level of success or just be acknowledged or even just to be paid you know it's such a thing where you know your people have been paid the same as a musician since like 1972 but not with inflation you know you may you could make hundred dollars on a gig in 72 and do the same today but that's like you know six or seven hundred dollars right today so it's one of those things where and for me you know because no one you know you put all this effort into this music especially like releasing an album like i'm going to put all this effort in and all this stuff and i make a a kickstarter video and then you have all promotion maybe you do a a release you know i did a i released my album uh right dead smack in the first year of the pandemic so like well not the best timing but i didn't see it coming right (laughs) you know Um, but so i released um like a video all music videos of those songs you know just to put that out just to have a thing to show people um and just because everyone has a lot of entertainment sources a lot of people don't come out to shows because it's easier to just, you know, like watch Netflix or whatever. Right. But then also, um, you know, you're just one of, an, like, a ton of other things. So for me, and I've seen a lot of musicians just kind of get crushed down by that, and then they just turn into salty, angry things, because that's kind of just the environment. It's unfortunate that's what it is. Wow. In my brain nowadays, like, I I acknowledge that this is just kind of the state of things. And um, recently, you know, Christine and I, uh, we're in the Dave Manfield Parade. We're not in that band anymore. We just kind of, you know, another one of those just time to change different things um, scenario. She's not a nurse anymore, actually. Um, no. But, yeah, she was a nurse during the pandemic. Um, that was oh, that was probably rough. Yeah, it was not good. So but, she knew, like, she was she just got into nursing, and bam, it was yeah, like, oh, damn. pretty much. And 
nurse during the pandemic, and then we were playing in this band. You know, not limited for sure with as far as contact oh, yeah, and stuff. Oh, but yeah, oh, yeah. It was just a lot going on. Um, we uh, we actually put out a video called Holding On. That was um, one original thing I had done with that band, where. Uh, David had written the first half when he was feeling really depressed and suicidal at one point in his life and then he gave me the second half and I wrote the you know be positive and you know yeah, hope side. that's cool and we did a video and that was really cool because that was in maybe July of 2020 and everyone's freaking out and stuff so that was cool to be able to do that but yeah. even that you know not a ton of people see that when you expect you know it's like when you have these expectations but then because everyone's attention is just so easily siphoned off in all these different ways um, but nowadays, so yeah, what's, what's present Andrew now? What's, oh man, I'm, how is Andrew yeah. making Bob? What is he doing? What am I doing? You know, I ask myself that every day. <laughs> well, let's see. So, um, still teaching a ton, uh, which has been really awesome. I've been able to keep doing that. Uh, the zoom teaching was so helpful. Um, it was funny. I have to share this story with you guys. So I, uh, I teach all ages of people. Mm. I teach a ton of instruments too, right? Um, but all ages. So, like, the youngest I've ever taught was, like, a three-year-old. Wow. And then I teach, and you know, I've taught, like, an 80-year-old. Wow. All, all kinds of everything. Um, but we had to move over to Zoom, you know. So, and I had a couple kids. So, this one kid, um, I don't know, he's probably, like, six or seven, maybe. And it's just so funny to me that kids are so, like, malleable, and they can, like, adjust so quickly. Because I was going to school at the time, too, for Spanish, actually. Um, and at Tri-C, and it's like, we're all trying to figure it out as adults and trying to figure it out, but then the kid, you know, he's like right on Zoom, he knows exactly how to do it. Um, but this kid, I was trying to teach him something, and he, in particular, was just really hyperactive, going crazy all the time, type kid. And, uh, you know, I'd be trying to show him something, and he's in his room, Yeah. and there's no way, you know, like, there's no way, he's like, he's like, hey man, do you want to see my dinosaurs? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, sure, show me, you know, whatever, you know. We're just gonna do what we can Your do, parents basically. Are paying for this. Yeah. <laughs> so then, so that, so that at one point, I was trying to get, I was trying to get him to play this guitar scale. And he's looking at the camera, and then all of a sudden, he just freezes, like this. And I, I'm, like I'm looking at him, he's just like looking at the, he's just looking at the monitor, but his arms are kind of moving and his eyes are kind of moving. And I'm like, but you know, I'm not, I won't say his name. But like, come on, hey bud, hey bud. And he's pretending to be frozen on Zoom because he doesn't want to practice what I'm trying to show him. Yeah. And I'm like, I can see your, I can see your eyes moving. I can see your arms moving. And then he kind of, kind of snaps out of it really quick, and he goes, I think we had a connection issue. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh no! And I, and I thought, all right, this, this kid is going to be good in his life. Oh. Um, but that was that was just so hilarious. That's funny. Um, but as of now, I know you're still playing Pop Bellies, which Pop Bellies over. It really, it was. It finished in 2019, actually. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, the end of 18, it finished. They don't. They don't do mute. The pandemic killed that. It was pre. It was like they had uh, just funding problems. I think. Oh, yeah. Wow. They canceled all music at the beginning of 2019, which was a real drag. But it was uh, actually talking about that was kind of funny. So I did Pop Billy in Colorado, right? Is that how you got it in Cleveland? Like you just said I worked there before. Well, get this, right? So I'm in the system at Pop Billy, so I do that in Denver. We moved to Seattle. There are like five Pop Billies in Seattle. Right. So I, I ended up uh, doing three hours a day every day there at different locations there. And I moved to Cleveland, 
<laughs> Bunch well, of locations here. I had a, uh, another musician friend joke around with me. He said, I'm the only musician he knows that had a corporate transfer. <laughs> 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 but yeah, it's kind of funny. But yeah, they, they discontinued in uh, early 2019. So yeah, it was just um, gigging. And uh, one more thing before I go into modern uh, me. In 2019, I was hired by a band I used to play with um, from Colorado to play at the International Beer Festival in China for a month. That's awesome. A month? A month. That's cool. The International Beer Fest is a month long yeah, in China? It's, well, it, it's three weeks long, but we had to be there multiple days before and after. Um, and it was a band that I used to play with How'd in Colorado. How'd you get to China? Uh, it was it was before the pandemic. It was six months before. But even corona. then, like yeah. I know it's kind of like you have to have a purpose to travel to China. It's a work. We had a worker's visa. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So we. Wow. So basically, yeah, it's a band I used to play with in Colorado called Ragged Union, um, and uh, basically what had happened was it was it's a beer festival in Chindong, China, which is basically on the coast right across from uh, South Korea, essentially. And they had this beer festival every year because that's where Tindao is from. Um, it's just like uh, Chinese beer. It's like Coors Light. Okay. Um, and that year they were gonna uh, have a Colorado uh, theme or a Colorado float because at the end of the festival they have all these floats of all the beers, and they just had like Colorado, Colorado, you know, because like Colorado was rocky. known as right. that, like right. Western and like rugged Western Colorado, you know. Yeah. So they wanted a band to represent that beer. So they had called uh, Jeff Union, whose band that is, um, and they said, you know, or they had called a booking agent that called Jeff. So then he was hired. His bass player couldn't do it, so he called me to go. Um, and it was very short timing. I mean, it, because the guy had, the bass player had to bail, like, kind of last second, so I had to... You know, do all these visa. Oh work. man! So oh, I so such a headache. Check this out for a crazy oh, story. So um, we had you know x amount of time to get our visas stamped by uh, the Chinese consulate essentially, and uh, the interesting thing about that was that the Chinese consulates they're regional, right? So if you live in Ohio, there's not going to be one in Ohio. You have to go to the one that represents that whole area. So the only one in Ohio is New York City. So I, I, and it's ironic because there's another one in Chicago, yeah. but that's a different that's that region. region. Different re- oh, so so I so this one day, um, I know this. I don't know, you say we're not time, so this is a funny story. Yeah, I'll no show time. You that. I don't care. Okay. Yeah. Um, Do it. So this is the crazy. I had such a crazy experience in New York. Um, so I had to go to the Chinese consulate with this documentation, with a new headshot. Uh, and hope you had everything and right. And my passport. And, you know, like four other different things. We all looked, made sure, like, okay, this is the thing. I was going to fly to New York at, like, 8 a.m., get to the consulate by 10, because they closed at, like, 2 or 3. Mm-hmm. I had to go to New York, get my picture taken, and then basically do that and be done, and just fly home that day. <laughs> so what happened was... That didn't happen. Well, <laughs> what happened was I got there feeling good. All right, I had plenty of time. I go to, I don't know, it was like a place where you get your picture taken. CBS. Like CBS. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uber to the Chinese consulate. Uh, and I was in line, in line, and then there's a security guard at the front. And he goes, uh, no, you need this form to even get in here. I didn't have that form. So I called my boss guy. I said, okay, they're not letting me in right now. 
And I still, I'm looking at my clock because I only have this one day to get this done. Right. I'd maybe have like three, four hours. And then he goes, okay, well, you need to go print this off somewhere. Jesus. Go somewhere. Go find a place. So I have my phone. It's probably about half battery life, you know. And I'm, so I'm, <laughs> I'm like, okay, where is there a place to print off something? So I go to this one place and it doesn't exist. Go to another place, it doesn't exist. Another place, it doesn't exist. And it's summer, so it's super hot, you yeah. know. And I'm walking around, walking around. I'm looking around like, oh, this isn't a place. And now the time's starting to get kind of down, you know. Um, so I'm like looking around, and I like I'm just following the arrow, and I walk in. And now I'm in Times Square all of a sudden, and it was in the thick of tourist season. So it's like Bugs Bunny, Mickey Mouse, you know, like the <laughs> Statue of Liberty, show. all this. And, and like, you're like, oh, I'm no. like, I need to find a Kinko's immediately. Yeah. So I like just look around. I ask a couple of cops, like, where can I print this off? You know, and they go, oh, go up there. And I couldn't find the place. And I find a spot. I find a printer. I print it off the sheet. You know, with all the stuff. So now I have probably an hour and a half till it closes. Oh. So I have to book it back, yeah. wait in line, do all the stuff, and leave. So I get back to the Chinese consulate, probably like 45 minutes before they close. In line, have the paper to get yeah. in, do that. So I'm in there. So now it's like, okay, I need to find a queue, basically. And there's tons of people in there. So I get, I'm waiting, waiting in line, waiting in line, waiting in line. And I had the copy of that original document that the um, basically like CCP had sent the boss and I had it I get up to the front of the line she goes no I need the original copy of this so they didn't take me it didn't take my visa they they put me out of the embassy I called them I thought I wasn't gonna be able to go I'm like look there's no way there's no like I can't you know I'm I'm how are you here supposed right to get now. the original? Like, how do they know it's a copy? Like, I mean... It's red. She goes, this is usually red right here. It's black and white. Oh. So I'm like, well, all right. <laughs> so <laughs> I walk out of there, had a beer. And then I, like, called the boss. I'm like, <laughs> man, I don't, do I don't know if this is in the cards. So he goes, okay, well, we're just, we're kind of freaking out. We're going to figure it out. So I went back to LaGuardia, and he called me back. And he goes, okay, here's another plan. We found another situation where apparently there's like a company in Denver that if you send your passport to, they interact directly with the consulate and then you can get a visa that way. Okay. So then I overnighted my passport. In, so I left LaGuardia. That's pretty ballsy too, to, to overnight thing. your passport. I overnighted my passport to his house. They got all the stuff, went to that company, got all the visa information. Wow. And we were good. No shit. Damn, that's the time of the wire. And then you play it in a beer festival in China for a month. So this is a crazy. This is the one of the craziest experiences of my life, man. <laughs> it was so wild. So I I had only known the the um, the uh, his name is Jeff Union. He's kind of started the band. Uh, I didn't know the other guys very well. They had moved there to Colorado after I had, or they had been there. I just hadn't met them, or they lived out of state. And uh, so I just meet them for the first time, right? So we get to. China, right? The first 24 hours were crazy. Ironically, it was actually right on my birthday. I landed. It was like, my birthday. it was fun. But, uh, um, but so we got there. So we're all spun out from the time change, you know. We get to the hotel, figuring all this stuff out. And then they said, okay, well, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go with this guy and you're going to go to the studio and you're going to record a song. We said, what do you mean? You know, we, we didn't really know what was going on because the translation was kind of hard and we just didn't know, like, 
Jeff didn't really know. He was, it was very challenging to know what's going on. Yeah. So were you not playing on the float? They had a you know, recording of you playing, and you were just up there, just better, better. better <laughs> oh this. no! So get, oh no! So no, it's it, it's it's good. <laughs> so basically, that day, and this is by the end of the day. So it's like all day. We got there at like seven a.m. and we're recording uh, this song. It was one of Jeff's songs on his album that was already recorded, right? Uh, but they wanted us recording it, and we asked, like, why are we recording this right now? And they go, so you will play it. You know, I'm like, I don't really understand what that means. We were there a couple days before the beginning. Yeah. So they said, so you'll play it. Go, okay, well, I don't really understand, but we're just going to do this, and there it is, right? So the next day, we had the rehearsal for the opening of the whole thing. So the opening of this whole thing, uh, they have all the bands. So they have bands from all over the place. Like, they have a Canadian band, they are bagpipe bands, they have a Russian rock band, they have, uh, like, British aerialists, they had German dancers everywhere. Oh, they had wow. like Mexican jugglers and all of the foreigners stayed in the same hotel. They put us all in one place. <laughs> so what they would do is like at, at, at 3 p.m. every day, everybody would get on the bus, they'd take us to the grounds, we'd do our thing, and then after that day was over, everyone would get back on the bus and we'd, they'd take us back to the hotel that way. So you couldn't leave the hotel? It was just we, the hotel? Or? We could. We could, oh, yeah, okay. yeah. We could travel around and do different stuff like that, yeah. Um, but So we're recording. We're you know, where this is the big day, there's a huge stage and all this stuff. But what it really is, it's this huge event over there. It's this huge, it's like uh, the Super Bowl of things. It's this huge thing. Giant fair or something? The, like, I mean, this is kind of dated to say, but like the Ryan Seacrest of China is hosting. It's okay. like a huge thing. Like, here's the, here's the most famous actress in China. Wow. She's announcing this next band or things, yeah. things like that. So we're going up there because when you're playing like that, and they were going to do it live that day, you can't do a sound check. So oh. we lip-synced to the recording we had done. So when the actual, they're like live, yeah. you yeah. know, uh, we're just lip-syncing. No shit. So they just like, click, play this, and there's that band. And then the same thing with the Russian band. They said they, they recorded right after, you know, same thing. And then, bam. So that way they don't have to sound check. So how many, just how many songs did you do? One for the opening. Wow. And they said it was like, they said 30,000 people were there. And then watching it, uh, they, I think he said there was like 3 million or something. Wow. Or three Jesus. or four. And then it was aired throughout China, China for the next weeks because it's like a nationwide thing. Beer festival uh, in China. And then, uh, you know, we were, uh, the, uh, the uh, guy who runs the band and I, we were interviewed by, like, the Matt Lauer of China, talking about beer. And they're like, so what, you know, we, they, they, they took us into this room, like, so what, when was, you know, when was your first beer? And, like, what do you think about Colorado? And what do you think about China? And all this kind of stuff. And it was hilarious. Um, but, yeah, all these people, like, even backstage in the rehearsal, like, our translator person, uh, they're like, do you know who that is? You know, pointing at the the host. I'm like, no. <laughs> they're like, that's you know, this is this guy. He's like, he's like the Brad Pitt of China. You know, so like this huge thing. Um, but essentially, what the gig entailed was us playing on stage. It was a, I think it was a half hour show. It was three half hour shows every day, six days a week. Jesus. Wow. But we shared a stage with this Russian band. It, it was awesome. Like, I was having such a good time interacting with people. Like, it was really, really, that was, that part was awesome. The challenging part was it was so loud on the festival ground because I didn't realize this at the time, but apparently it's a cultural thing in China. 
where like the louder or the more of something is the better so we have like beer like a huge beer tent across the uh way from us let's say right and another one you know it literally wrapped the whole festival ground with these huge beer tents and they are just blasting the subs so loud it was insane it was like I, I, like Christine had put earplugs in my bag, like before I left, just as an afterthought. And if I hadn't had that, I probably had ear damage. I mean, it was so loud. And it was so funny because the sound system they were using, like we do a sound check through early part of the day, we use that, and then the band would go, but the sound was always different every time. Yeah, for every band. Well, I'm sure your sound is different than a a Russian rock band. Right. Well, in in theory, what would happen is that you would have, like, here's all the settings for this band, all the settings for this band, and we'll just adjust it according, right? But one set, okay, I have a lot of bass, and I don't hear any of my vocals, but I have a lot of banjo, so I'm just going to lean on that. Okay, okay, that set's done. And the next set, okay, now I have no bass, but I can hear my vocals now. Ah. So it literally was, like, crazy. And it was so loud that, like, the uh, I, you couldn't even hear them count it off. They'd be like, one, two, three, and then nothing. <laughs> so I'm playing my memory. I'm just much. playing like I see where the guy's hand is falling, and I'm just holding the tempo here. It was so. It was wow. like such a hard gig, man. It was. It was brutally hard. <laughs> so to do I that. mean, could anyone even hear you? Sometimes. I mean, well, the the audience would. Yeah, out front. It was just the monitors that were always yeah. there. Um, it was really you know interesting because it's mostly all. Uh, you know, Chinese people for the most part that are going there. Um, and everyone there was super nice. They were all really kind people and it was really, they were very timid for sure. Um, but they were all really nice and uh, it was funny to me because I realized like I, it's funny to me because we, like, we, we went all into high school together so like <coughs> like with French, right? Yeah, I failed yeah. French. Right? <laughs> I taught myself French after high school with like Rosetta Stone so I'm not, I'm not like fluent but I can speak French and yeah. I could also speak a little Spanish I've been like really into language for a long time too just because mm-hmm. I think it's interesting so you know the opportunity to you know we're all hanging out at the hotel after the show let's say and here's like uh, here is the Paraguayans here's the Brazilian dude here are the Germans hanging out with the English hanging out with the Canadians and I'm that playing bluegrass here and all the Russians like some of the Russians speak English but not all of them could but I had the translation app on my phone and I had, you know, three-hour conversation with a dude that didn't speak any English. You know, it's funny. That I, actually, I actually learned a Russian song um, in Russian that they exposed me to. They were like, they called me Andruha, which is like Big Andrew in Russian. Uh, and they're like, Andrew, sing these words. And they're like, you know, they're singing Russian. And I'm like, oh, God, you know, blah, blah. And they all thought it was hilarious. Um, but then I looked up the song, and it was awesome. So I learned the whole thing phonetically. Um, and then I showed, like, I posted it on Instagram, like, uh, you, you know, six months later, and they were like, wow, that sounds just like Russian, that's crazy. And I was like, cool. Um, the, the other thing that was wild, you know, I was speaking a little Spanish over there, which was really fun, but, so the audience, uh, it was surprising, but not a ton of people actually spoke English. So you're playing on stage, you finish a song, there's a lot of tuning involved, ton of people, I mean, they said, like, tens of thousands of people went through that place in that three weeks. Um, tons of people. Not all of them speak English, so even if you say anything on the mic, you know, it's really challenging. Yeah, they don't. <laughs> so my goal was to figure out how to speak in Mandarin to them. And nice. Mandarin is tricky because Mandarin is tonal, 
autonal language, okay. which basically means like in English we have different words that mean different things. Some of them like sweet, let's say, like means different things. But in a tonal language, you say the word ma, let's say, but if you say ma or mo, those are two different words. Okay. So basically, like duh, like that, that dictates what you're even saying. So it's totally oh, different. That's than, interesting. Yeah, totally different. And so the first week, I'm like, okay, I'm going to learn this, you know, and our, our translator dude, who was really nice, uh, I'm like, all right, I'm going to learn all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm going to try it out on you. He goes, okay, you're doing good. You're doing good. Sounds good. And that first week, you know, I'd like, you know, like, ni hao, man, you know, and they'd be like, oh, you know. But then I would try to say, like, you're from America and we like beer. And they'd always go, Huh? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> you know? So, and that was, you know, and I expected that. So, like, that. By, by the end, though, I had been practicing a lot, and I had been doing my thing. I had my whole spiel down, and I, you know, would go on the mic and have, like, a whole little thing I'd do, and people would start clapping before I even finished talking. It was so funny. <laughs> That's awesome. I'd finish it, and they'd be like, yeah! And I remember <laughs> one time I, I finished... And all I heard was, good job! <laughs> it was it was so funny. But it was really cool to be able to play that music for people because it was like, wow, American, you know? And they'd all be taping us and stuff. What would be really hilarious is that, you know, it's, most, it's mostly Chinese people there, but there were also foreigners too, right? So not even people that were working there, but other people. So occasionally you'd see like these you know, gargantuan white dudes come, like, dancing around in lederhosen, you know, because they're, like, partying. Uh, all the people that were there from China were kind of more withdrawn, you know, they weren't they yeah. really dance, you know. Yeah. Um, they were very, you know, watching us. Huh. But they'd see these, like, oh, man, like, what, like, look at these crazy guys over here. So they'd go from, like, taping us here and, like, looking at the dancers <laughs> and go, oh, and then they'd start taping the dancers. <laughs> so it would be like a show within a show. Yeah. It was so funny. Uh, and then, yeah, we jam on the porch, um, you know, with all the international folk afterward, like the when we were off and stuff. That was great. They took us to uh, um, one of the days we were off. They took us to this mountain. It was like a national park, basically, but it was like the mountain range that was really close by and hiking around. That was really cool. That was probably really awesome. That was really awesome, yeah, and just kicking it with different people and just hiking around, too, because we had been in the city all the whole time. Cities was re- it was really disgusting. Oh, that was gross. And uh, I mean, it was it was pretty gnarly. I mean, it, it was interesting to me because I feel like I wasn't really. I mean, I didn't really know what I was even doing when I got there. As far as but what it, to expect that city, it's not like you would think when you think of China, you think of Beijing, and in Beijing, so I mean, it's that's it's a smaller city as it is, and I mean, you're going to some some random city in China. I mean, you don't. I mean, I, I wouldn't know what you're going into. Yeah. It would be, like, uh, golden every night because the smog and the way the sun would set. Oh, wow. It would be, like, this weird kind of haze. And another thing I wasn't really expecting is that people will, like, like pee and defecate in public areas. Whoa. What? Yeah, so you'll see, like, kids. I didn't see this. One of the other musicians I saw, and this might also be a generalization just to where we were, yeah. but I know that, like, mainland China is known for this sometimes. Where the kid just drops trowel on the sidewalk and just starts peeing, basically, in on the street. Uh, they have pants that basically, when you squat open, because all the toilets are just holes, basically over there too. You know, they're just holes in the ground essentially. So you squat, the your pants open, do your business, and you stand up, and your pants go back, and you just go on your merry way, basically. So what happens though, too, is that um, I don't know. Maybe it's from their history or what. I don't. I don't think everybody does this, but um, 
<laughs> dude, you know, we're playing show. Dude is uh, <laughs> out there, you know, with a beer and a cigarette, doing his thing. And then he's, like, watching. And he squats down. In the festival, poops, stands up, walks away. And they had all these little old ladies with, like, sweepers. Old lady comes up and sweeps his poop into her <laughs> basket. <laughs> and just... And that's normal. That, like, no one, yeah, no one thought of anything different. About it. Huh. So that was very, like... That's, that's <laughs> different. A little different. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, then again, I mean, not everybody does that, of course. Right. I'm sure. But it, it was very, it was very uh, fascinating situation to observe, for sure. So now what is the future? What, what are the, what's your, what's your five, ten year plan? Where do you see yourself? Nice. So, Cause, right. Because yeah. you did, you moved here because Christine was doing nursing. Yeah, cheaper but, alternative. Yeah. So, what what now? I mean, if she kind of, I mean, she she got the the brunt of, the short end of the stick when it comes to nursing. Yeah. These last few years, but mm. yeah. So right now, I'm uh, working on an album. It's been a couple like last year. Um, just had a lot of different transitions happen. So like life kind of took over. I've been I uh, basically tracked an entire album. Uh, earlier last year, I just haven't gotten to it very much yet, but working on that, that should be done hopefully by the fall or winter of 2022. And uh, for me, I have had like a very good burst of like, creative energy and like reason to play. I feel like in the last, like even maybe since COVID, there was a big why, like why am I doing this kind of thing? I found with myself that uh, like you had a gig, let's say. I would practice for the gig, so I had some kind of external reason to be a musician, right? Like, or I have this gig, you know, you just kind of get into the routine of, oh, that's a big gig, I better practice for that. Oh, this is a small gig, I don't need to practice for that, you know. Um, but now with there are no gigs, you just kind of cast adrift. And now after that, you know, uh, you know, quit a band, all these different things, it was kind of a, well, what, you know, what am I doing here? I know how the music industry is, I know what the deal is. I know how hard it is to live off of music. Mm. Um, what, you know, why am I doing this? What's the point of this? And I, for me, very, you know, in this year, uh, really, I have this, like, really strong, urgent desire. Like, no matter what happens for me, like, with a band. Because I'm always going to be creative and, like, do different things. Cause You're I'm always involved as a musician. You're, oh. you're never just... Even, even people who have made it... On they've they've gotten the hits or something and they're the, what we what you said before quote unquote famous. Mm-hmm. I mean they're always evolving yeah. and having new style and throwing their new or whatever their sense of whatever they think is. I mean it's art. I mean yeah. it's just a different form of art. So yeah, absolutely. So I I've I've become less invested in like the particular outcome as opposed to the process because for me I view myself now like I don't want to just practice because I have a gig I I want to practice because I am that is just who I am as a person you know like I want to be a good musician regardless of whatever is going on like I don't want to have this motivation um, like uh, one person who has been extremely motivational for me has been Zayla um, Alex Alvarez he's uh, kind of a staple in the Cleveland music scene but also like kind of indie music but he also paints and Alex I mean he plays a ton of shows all the time he's painting all the time doing art all the time and it's just constant. I remember when he was in Listen Little Man, he would have a notebook. He would be drawing or writing lyrics all the time, uh, just to do, you know. And I'd say, like, you know, are all these things you're gonna, you know, 
this painting. You're going to sell this painting? And he would say, no, I'm just doing this because I need to do this. Right. You and like I, doing it. Th and I think that idea of you are artistic and that's just who you are, that's really like where the best stuff comes from because I feel like that eliminates the external thing that might warp and manipulate the art, the craft itself. Like you, I am simply me doing this without any filter or any desire to like, oh, I better better sound like the Grateful Dead, otherwise I'm not going to pay my rent, or right. whatever, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I feel really motivated just to be as like, as good musically as I possibly can be, because a lot of bands that I've been in the past, I can sort of see, like, all right, I see the, the high watermark that's going to be achievable in this band, you know, like, oh, this is just where it is, it'll still be fun, but, like, eh, this is just basically where it is, I could, I could be better, but what's the point, kind of, you know, mm -hmm. um, but I just... I can I realize a part of myself that I have not really tapped into and now that I'm kind of free range and now that I have this viewpoint of I want to just be as good as I possibly can because I just that's just how I think I can help the world or help at least deal with my own weird yeah. mind itself yeah. um, but just to be as good as possible to be this the idea that you know everyone's you know like I don't want to promote on Facebook or whatever I love the idea of just being the guy that just shows up at some random place, plays, and that like the music is just so good that it's almost shocking, or you don't even know like, wow, that where did, where did you come from? And you disappear. It's like you're a ninja, like a music ninja, <laughs> you know. And just to be really good. And I, I mean, I'll I'll be in another band again someday. I play um, I play at Forest City Brewery um, every yep. second and third Sunday. Um, the second Sunday is with this honky tonk band, um, and that's also super fun. Uh, but the third Sunday is basically it's kind of like my project sort of I kind of run the show somewhat mm -hmm. it's called the Lake Erie Roots Collective and that has been extremely helpful for me because I'm playing upright bass but I'm singing all the songs I'm talking on the mic calling the songs arranging the songs on the spot with the other dudes uh, Anthony Papaleo and Anthony Today are the other musicians and they're incredible you know so but that ability to alright we're literally improvising a show essentially and I'm talking on the mic and it's I have found that talking on the mic is actually one of the hardest parts of playing live because it's really easy to just say dumb things on the mic. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. It's all improv. I mean. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But now, like, I, I feel more comfortable with that. I feel more comfortable with music, why I'm doing music, all these things. So I kind of have this, like... It also gives oh, you a little yeah. more audience engagement, and that's what people like the audience engagement, so... Yeah, exactly. So I have... I, I'm, I'm feeling really good about forward momentum in whatever capacity because I know if I can make myself as good as I possibly can I don't care if I live like on a desert island because those little those little uh, you know tortoises and fish that hear me play are going to be some lucky tortoises that's right you know yeah, that's, I mean? right. that's my view there I'm you like go. man I've got three people there you got three people in the bar those are the luckiest three people in the whole city yep. and like shifting around to that because then you do value what you're doing as opposed to like oh no one liked my Facebook event I'm a piece of shit you know yeah um, like, no, I, like, I'm so confident in what I'm doing that I know it's good. And it doesn't even matter what you think. I know how good it is. Yes. Like that, because I think that is what everyone's trying to really achieve. And just, I think by being bounced around all these different bands and having all these experiences, like that is where I've, I've gotten to now, which I'm, you know, it's like, okay, well now how do I, you know, <laughs> make money basically. But it's, you know, always do music. I'm, I'm still teaching a ton. You know, yeah. um, private lessons, ton of different instruments. You know, all ages, That's all so skill cool. levels. Um, well, 
I'm going to lead off on this. You said that uh, Zayla is probably one of the most influential people in your in your career. What are some other, name two other influential people that, or bands altogether that really, it could be ones that you've played for and met, or it could be bands that you've you've seen or listened to and came across that really, like, you liked your sound and really mm-hmm. made you push forward and made you what you are today. What? Yeah. yeah. So one guy I can definitively say that was a huge influence on me was John Hartford. John Hartford was a musician. Uh, he had a long career. He kind of started in the late 60s, but a lot of his music, his big hit came out in maybe the mid-70s. But he's a banjo player, fiddle player. Um, kind of started off in bluegrass country kind of stuff, but then he went into pop music in the 70s, but then he went into a whole bunch of different stuff. He did an album called Mark Twang, which basically him playing fiddle and banjo by himself, but he also wrote a ton of different songs, all like with banjo or like country overlays, but some of it is funky. Some of it is, uh, you know, old timey. Some of it is fast banjo. Some of it is, like it's, it's so fast, the amount of songs that he has, and they're all so good. And to me, that's, that's really awesome because he's a defined artist you know, like he is himself. He probably evolved also, but it's very. This is him. Like this is clearly who what he is. But he could use that pivot foot and go into funk, go into country, go into this. You know, do that. And that is, I really admire that. And that's something that I've tried to cater or uh, tailor myself to, because then you are kind of like combining things together in a way. It's almost like beyond genre, really. Right. It kind of. And I think. I have a feeling that's probably where most things are going because the idea of labeling things, it's kind of just a way to like compartmentalize, you know. But now everything is everything. Like people listen to rap, listen to bluegrass, listen yeah. to whatever. Do you have yeah. any swing songs intertwined in some of your stuff? Oh man, yeah, I've written some swing songs. Um, uh, not like uh, quoted, but uh, you know, I've definitely utilized that genre a lot yeah. too. Um, especially those chords over a uh, funk song, let's say, right? So, or something of that nature. Kind of. Uh, Combining stuff. Okay. So John Hartford for sure. Number three. Um, I would probably say I'm a huge fan of Bob Dylan. Um, I used to listen to him all the time. I just lyrically, you know, like the writing, because I, you know, I've I've always been good at writing. You know, I did like editorials and uh, yeah. Newberry and different things like that. I have a funny story about Bob Dylan. Yeah. What I worked at I worked at a grocery store. Mustard Seed used to do catering for Live Nation. So, uh, Bob Dylan was at Playhouse Square, and we were setting up something, and I went down to the bathroom, and I'm coming back, and there's this old guy standing in, like, old, ratty, like, plaid pants and, like, some holes and ratty-ass band t-shirt, and I go back to my boss, and I'm like, hey, there's, I think a homeless guy snuck in here. And I pointed, and she's like, "You know, that's Bob Dylan." <laughs> <laughs> that is that is amazing. Walked right past with no idea. That's wow. that is did not look. Like, I know what Bob Dylan looks like, but he looked like he was old, and he just he just was trying to blend in, I guess. But yeah, yeah that was that's <laughs> so funny. Wow, yeah, that's hilarious. Um, another another person I could say that has been a big influence on me is Paul Simon, also. Nice. Uh, similar for just difference of things, but also writing and um, stuff like that. Um, 
man, that's so funny about the Dylan thing. I, uh, the only, I haven't really interacted with too many famous people, but I did talk to this, uh, you know, if you've ever heard of Bootsy Collins before, he played bass no. with James Brown. Um, this is my funny celebrity story. Um, <laughs> Bootsy Collins, so he's like, uh, played bass for James Brown, and he played for uh, George Clinton and Parliament, okay. so yeah. like, they're all like yeah. dressed up like crazy, and he was always, you know, he's the guy in the recording going, whoa, baby, like that, <laughs> like really funky, he's bass yeah. player, so he's, you know, he had the bass that was a star, and purple, and crazy glasses, and like gold yeah. tooth, like yeah. wild looking character. Right. So he was at the Sam Ash in uh, Lyndhurst when I was, I was probably like even 16, you know, and uh, <laughs> he was signing autographs because he was doing something at the Rock Hall, and uh, so we're in line, you know get up to him and uh, kind of freeze you know because he's like this kind of he's you know it's like kind of intimidating yeah. he's really tall too um, and he's all decked out and uh, he goes well, who do I make this out to and then I like Andrew you know and he's doing this and <clears throat> and uh, I say you know like oh you know I, I, I play music too I play bass too it's really uh, fun I really love it and you know it's uh, it's it's really great and he goes oh that's great you know and I said yeah uh, you know, I really enjoy playing bass, and I also I gig with my dad, um, and that's how I make all my money. You know, I just gig. And he goes, "Oh, you got some cheese on that burger." <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Which that really stuck with me for a long time. Um, but as far as the future, yeah, man, just like going ahead with music, feeling real motivated about that, and teaching, and just kind of like I can feel the ascent to the next level, and it's just a matter of you know well getting to that point so. fantastic do you have socials you want to plug do you want to plug your this is plug everything if you want to you want to take contracts on zoom bass lessons from our, <laughs> our listeners and we got a bunch of downloads in brussels oh, recently man. so you know shout out to those people in brussels oh, oh man baby so yeah plug nice. plug your stuff nice they love me in belgium <laughs> <laughs> um um, well, let's see. So uh, my Instagram is Bonus Music B O N N I S M U S I C. I've got the I'm on the Facebook uh, Andrew Bonus. Um, I have an Andrew Bonus music page. But I don't really post that very much. Uh, my website with all of my original music, um, also with Christine, uh, my wife, and also I have some videos up as well as some different things. That's BonusMusic.com. Uh, same thing B O N N I S M U S I C. Um, I teach a ton. I will teach you wherever you are. Um, <laughs> Zoom, um, I teach, let's see, upright, electric bass, guitar, mandolin, banjo, ukulele, voice, piano. Um, and uh, that's, that's pretty much it. Whatever the age, whatever the skill level. So if you're fascinated, just hit me up on the website. I'd be happy to help you in your musical journeys. Nice. Fantastic. Nice. Andrew, thank you very much. Thanks for having me, man. This is so fun. Great seeing you. Uh, A little quick housekeeping. Just depending on when you guys listen to us, uh, Pancakes on Sunday, we are running a contest till September 1st, 2022. If you guys find this after that date, I apologize. You can kind of skip past this, but... If you email us on pancakes on Sunday morning at gmail.com or DM us on our Instagram at pancakes on Sunday morning, you have a chance to win a free exclusive t shirt. Free. Free t shirt. Well, free. We, 
If you email or DM, you will be put into the hat with everybody else, and we will randomly select somebody, and we will get in contact with you and arrange how for you to get a free t-shirt. If you want to see this free t-shirt, it is on our Instagram, and Ryan is looking quite majestic in his <laughs> limited edition Pancakes on Sunday t-shirt. Uh, so please, email us, uh, DM us, we will... Post us a question. A if and also, guys, if if you we say something in another episode or something, and we did it wrong, correct us. We will. I I'll own up to my my wrongdoing oh, yeah. on the air, and and I will shout you out and say, yeah, we sorry, guys. You know, we got this wrong, but this is it. Thanks for writing in. So write to us. We want to hear from you. You know, wh- whatever fam jams you guys are doing with your group of friends. You know. Share it. Yeah, share We like to see everyone around. I mean, we we see we see where people are are listening from and we love we want to hear from you. We want to hear from you. So, follow us on our social. Instagram is probably the the best one for us right now and email us and, you know, thanks for once again Andrew, thank you. And uh pleasure. We will see you soon. Thanks guys. Later. Bye.
parting Sun returns It's looking like 